All right. All right, everybody. Welcome to your Vibrant. Uh, all the Vibrant regulars. Good to see you in the chat. Welcome to the <laughs> Bears who maybe don't show up as often, but, you know, I'm very bear adjacent, I would say. We've got the noble savage himself, fresh off of a two plus hour live stream of his own. And he did Alex Jones earlier today. So we are now one degree of separation from Alex Jones. What's up, Owen? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Alex Jones is fighting now uh, the, the deep state. He wants to keep your weans limp. You know, he's like, he's got patriotic corrections. Hillary wants to keep you soft. I was, uh, I did that bit to his face today and he laughed, which I thought was a good sign. It means he's, he's not, he still has a sense of humor, which is, uh, awesome. But he loves those boner pills, man. He can't, he loves, he's passionate about keeping the world hard. <laughs> his blood pressure seems a little high though doesn't it like you uh, might have to watch out yeah he's like i constrict the blood vessels and keep it stay hard the globalists are trying to keep you soft speaking of soft this baby face guy below me is christopher gardner he just shaved to try out some new product he said my black face i was putting on my black face biochar cream nice. yeah <laughs> Dude, you like how blacks are with Robitussin? Like it's like you like just put biochar on it. Exactly. Everything's biochar. Yeah, it's pee, that's awesome. pee and biochar, and when you mix the pee with the biochar, <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so we're having fun already, Owen. I wanted to have you on after that amazing festival to you know just let the word out to people because. You know how it is. There's a lot of people who maybe listen to my stream that maybe the only thing they've ever heard about you is the hearsay from <laughs> the haters. And so it's like high time for you to come on and represent yourself. We've got our Illuminati Masonic Orange on all together. So it's going to be fun. But that new comedy special you just put out, maybe we should start there or talking about the festival, wherever you want to go, man. Yeah. I mean, I got to show the world what I am again, and that's a comedian. And um, for four years, I wasn't allowed to do stand-up because uh, every club, every theater would get a, the call a week before, even if I booked it myself, paid for it. Anybody in debt, guys, debtors uh, are slaves. And so they'd cancel me. And so uh, the haters could feast and, and, and swarm and say, oh, he's just dead, blah, blah, blah. But it's just because I couldn't do what I do, which is being a, a comedian. And before, back in my days in Hollywood, I was in, Adam Sandler movies and Comedy Central specials. And I was a regular on a TBS sitcom and I was Vince Vaughn's closing act. And so I had all the uh, credentials. I actually left for family while I was still wrapped at CAA. You know, I, I moved to my brother's town because I wanted my, my son to know family. I took a stand against the trans kid movement, got fired from everybody. Uh, and then the haters could all swarm. And now it's, I think that's over now because we crowdfunded land in the Ozarks. We pitched a tent, literally, got 1,500 people, shot a special. I hadn't been on stage in four years, uh, not to brag, but crushed way harder than anybody on Netflix. Looks great. Uh, I sold it for three days, made over 30 grand. The, uh, the, the camera guy was doing a little financial terrorism and was like saying he owned it and he wanted a bigger percentage. So I refunded everyone and made it free. So now he can have 100% of zero. So I, everybody that bought the special, you all got refunded. And you can now watch it um, at unauthorized.tv or for free at BitChute, uh, Rumble. Um, I even put it on, on my Twitter account. They let me back on Twitter, which is hilarious, but I'm not allowed on YouTube still. 
and the comedians can make do jokes about eating babies and and you know getting banged in the ass by their teacher and nobody cares but i couldn't make fun of um you know all demographics equally and for those of you that were at the show you got to see that i i not only make fun of jews and blacks and stuff but i make fun of christians and vets and people in wheelchairs and canadians and danish people and literally everybody and that's what a comedian has to do and if you uh if you accept the offer that you have to be a mercenary and only make fun of who they want you to mock and that there's protected classes, you're a, you're a pussy and you're not a comedian anymore. And so I never sold out. I never cucked. And now you get to enjoy it for free on a, on a week that everyone's trying to scare you with nonsense. Um, enjoy the special, share it with people and have a blast. Yeah. That's at OwenBenjamin.com and I'm still trying to get, you know, the right moment in time to make my parents watch it. But, you know, I've been easing them into things. They'll like it, dude. Oh, that's the beauty of stand up. If you send them my my stream, they might be horrified. Like if I'm just ranting and like they might be like, oh, my God, if you send them my stand up, they'll love it. Because not to be a dick, but people have been MK altered. We're like when they hear laughter, they hear approval. Everyone's scared of like going against the grain. So like. That that Seinfeld laughter, people then go, oh, this is okay. People agree with this. And then if you watch me do what I do, like my actual craft, which is stand-up comedy and piano, it's undeniably fun and funny and not hateful and not spiraling and not anything. And uh, and then people are like, oh, he's grifting because I crowdfunded for land. And then I just gave it away for free and returned everyone's money. So at this point, there really is no ability to hate unless you're just totally insane. And so I think it's a great time to send it to your parents, your friends, quote unquote normies, because um, stand up comedy isn't like live streaming. They won't be triggered. And, and it's just and it's all so freaking true that you can't even argue against it, you know? And the the timing just couldn't be more awesome. I wanted to see you and Topher riff about that, like this eclipse that that happened. Yeah, I know you yeah. don't attribute things to the 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 you know sky weather, but it. Well, I see it as a a, a clock, so I kind of do. It's like kind of saying like uh like I believe in seasons, so obviously I believe that there's probably more elaborate clock gears going on than just the four seasons like i can watch ursa major go around in a circle all year and that'll tell me if i need boots or not so theoretically there's definitely other you know systems happening that so i my mind's open to astrology when it comes to uh making predictions and and seeing patterns like I, i don't think it's nonsense i just think that uh growing up you know i used to call it dungeons and dragons for women (laughs) <laughs> because uh because they'd be like oh you're a wizard with 12 hit points we're not gonna like relate you know that was my joke but if you actually have skill with it you know and i also used to see those predictions as so vague it's like you want more money you're scared to death you want approval i'm like no shit but then when you start looking at you know like one thing that really opened my like one thing is i, I trust gardner and he tells me it's legit but that athen clementi predicted the rollout of the vaccine to the day. And that's pretty legit. Like that, there's something going on there. And then that eclipse happened like on a day when like the whole world was just revealing, like it's the day of jihad. Everyone's going nuts. People around me are acting super weird. Right then my special comes out like years in the making. That's all about breaking victim consciousness. And 
And it really just resonated with me on that balance of like when they give, they take, like everything is a, is a give and take, you know, like Mars might be war, but war is also, you know, burning the dead wood that brings out prosperity. So I really like the balance aspect of it. And I, I saw that this week, like I, something happened this week. Like it was like, bang, everyone's acting nuts. People around me, like a dude I thought I could trust, try to like extort me for money. And it's like, okay, here's all. And then it was just like this amazing feeling. Like I haven't been this happy yeah, in a the, long like time. a release. Yo, dude, like release I've been having that. a smile on me. Like I gave away 30 grand and I've been grinning ear to ear. Cause before I was like bummed out. My wife's like thought there was, she kept asking me if like something was wrong, which is always a sign. That means I'm just staring into space. <laughs> and uh, like she's like, are you okay? Like she usually doesn't do that. And so that just means I'm like, and I just don't like being in the vicinity of psycho, like psycho people, like money grubbing, greedy people. And so the fact I, and I couldn't tell the stream cause I was like trying to keep it personal and keep it on the down low. And then he pushed my hand to the point where it was like borderline criminal trying to steal our, our stuff. And so then I'm like, okay, now I get to show everyone. And it's like a great day of feasting in Bertaria. And it's been amazing ever since. It was like this explosion of energy, you know? Mm-hmm. Awesome. I just want to say for the record, uh, this chair was provided to me by Masad, but I'm not on any payroll or anything. <laughs> Dude, I know some Masad. Like, I don't even, I, I'm not a boogeyman guy. Like, I bet I bet I get along with some Masad guys that are just trying to, like, grabble and, and push narratives like, you know, your biggest uh, enemy is your, is like your own weakness or like, you know, drinking and driving or something. It's not some far away monster in some grabbly little country, you know? Verdad. Which, by the way, there's an interesting Massad uh, paraglider connection in Costa Rica. The ridge that I lived on was the second best ridge in the world to learn paragliding from. It was just all Israelis. Yes. That yeah, whole no, that, valley. Yeah, yeah. That, that whole valley leading up to where you did the jump off point. And I was just none of my friends, all my friends down there are like super liberal and very tight butt cheeked. And they're like, I was trying to make the joke with them. I was like, hey, have you guys been training the Muslims to like, you know, pair parabomb? And none of them got none of them like the joke because they take their paragliding so seriously. That's and now, hysterical. And now they're the victim class. <laughs> yeah, the paragliding baby butchers and, and uh, flip flops coming at a rave near you. It's so fucking dumb that it's like, you know, it's just so fucking funny. Like it's why I don't hate. I honest to it God, sounds like Owen, you dudes. support babies being decapitated. It really sounds. Oh, like dude, it right it's now. just it's like hilarious, dude. There was a. Uh, I saw an article today where it was this uh, Israeli landlord was still requesting that a kidnapped woman pay her rent. And I couldn't stop laughing because those are the Jews I love where they're like, just because you want to go paragliding with your new boyfriend doesn't mean you don't have to fucking pay your rent. And I just think that's like, I don't even know if any of it happens. Like no one does. Like I don't know a single person that knows anyone involved, but the script in the story is pretty fucking great. It's like, it's like paragliding baby butcher. So they get through an iron dome. Like they can shoot a missile going 3000 miles an hour, but like Habib with a unibrow fucking, you know, free Willie going over. A, it's just, it's so funny. It's like, 
I know they're trying to start a war and it's very serious and people are dying. But if you just picture some little creative grab where like in his little writing a script, it's fucking funny to me, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's Hair the writers. Gliding. The writer's strike was to, uh, you know, come up with the most compelling plot line for the next war. I literally think, I think that the odds yeah. of that are over gotta, 50%. They're like, we got to get talent, baby. We got to get Dick Wolf. We got, what's that? They're, they're proliferating Hamas phobia. Yeah, and Hamas means evildoer in Hebrew. Hamas like, phobia. dude, imagine if you're writing a script. Like, I used to write scripts for like Sony and Disney and shit. Like, I know how to write scripts. Imagine if you're like writing a script and the policeman's name is like Gary Policeman. Like, they literally did that with Hamas. Hamas in Hebrew means evildoer or time of violence. Like, why would a Muslim group name themselves the evildoers? It's like the, the, the grabbers are writing the scripts are like, an evildoer comes in with a paraglider and like, there's a rave and everyone's fucking and squirting in it, but it's on a holiday. So everybody's really conflicted and the Iron Dome can't stop the fucking bit. And it's just like, what are you doing? Like, that's not set in reality. And who knows? Maybe some of it happened. Maybe the Iron Dome just can't, uh, sense paragliding, but and then they say they just you know, ran. Oh, they've been doing the Hamas spell. I'm like, this is the newest version of it. But if you go back all the way, Ham H A M, it means darkness or black. Yeah, astrotheologically, it refers Bio-char? to the, the winter sun. But it's all Bio-char? about you know the uh, the races that you would consider black are cursed because they're the from oh, the line yeah, of yeah. the son of Noah who was the bad boy. Yeah, so, like, yeah, they've yeah. been doing this ham, they're the bad evildoers yeah. forever. It's like there's nothing new in the Grabbler ham playbook. us. Yeah, yeah, like, we're ham. Yeah, that's so funny. That's so funny, dude. Ham it's us. also an anagram for shame. Ah, very good. Nice. H-A-M-A-S-S-H-A-M-A, Shama, which is also call. I always thought they were, it was hummus for a while. <laughs> I was like, why the fuck is hummus fighting Israel? Like, don't they eat hummus? Like, that's how little I paid it. Don't you feel like this round is a little weird, different, because the whole world's watching at this time? And they're like, dude, no, they didn't just bomb. They just bombed their own hospital. Like, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, they did. These fucking evildoers. Like, because normally, because they've been doing this shit forever with Palestine. It's like. And and nobody really paid attention, myself included. I used to make fun of Palestinians and shit. I, I used to listen to Ben Shapiro like eight years ago. And it's like now that we're actually watching what they do, it's so dumb it, but, and hilarious, but in a murderous way. Gabe, come back in on your phone. You're kind of choppy on the computer. We'll figure that out like tomorrow if you want to IT that up. But we want you smooth, buddy. Smooth oxys, right, you know, analysis. Tofer, what's going through your your, uh, smooth little face right over there? Oh, dude, I was just thinking of like, you know, I'm still on the paragliding thing, like the paramilitary, paragliding, para this, para that. Like there, there doesn't parabellum mean prepare for war. I maybe from the John Wick movie. I don't know. It means like prior to war. Yeah. Parabellum, (laughs) pre-war, antebellum, post-war. That's it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. My glider, prepare to glide. <laughs> yeah, Josh in the chat, he said they like gliding because it reminds them of lube. 
Exactly. <laughs> nice and Dude, they're super perverted. Ask Topher. Like, yes. they're all about gliding and, and squirting and being naughty. Like, that's why when they write these scripts, it's all about, like, something real creepy and slimy. What What was the actual, like, because I didn't, I have not watched one piece of news on this. I get all my updates through UBB. Like, I don't even know. I don't know even know what the mainstream is saying about this. Like I don't give any like zero attention to it. So good. It's it's the it's the most nonsense I've ever seen. So don't even you're missing nothing. Are are the people so what's the what's the call to action right now in the US? Oh, deploy American troops to Gaza, fight Iran, kill all the Arabs, reset the system. Like it's you know what they want. It's just are people gonna bite? Is there gonna be enough you know, they're just bombing the shit out of Gaza, but they won't go in because they'll probably lose. So they're like trying to get Americans to go in. Mm-hmm. And so American media is really, really trying to promote the paragliding baby butchers. And but people are so worn out. I mean, 2001 was not that long ago. And then Russia bombs their own pipeline and Zelensky and all this insanity. COVID people are like, nah. And all these military guys, like everybody is getting trying to be called up right now. Like I know a lot of people that are military adjacent, like they left because of the vax or something. And they're going hardcore to get everyone back in the military. And they're trying to send uh, aircraft carriers. And I just think that it's a combination between grab or paranoia of Sharia, which is sound banking, because they're getting so much money and they're getting so much power and demographics. Because, like, you know, the anal sliding they've been doing and gliding hasn't really uh, paid dividends on the demographic front. So, well, go ahead. You, you guys know that I think Israel has been paying every single one of its uh, Israelites that have been worldwide to come back to Israel over the last four or five years. They were giving something like $80,000 and they made it so it's such a grabbler thing to do that their first quarter million dollars that they brought back into Israeli banks was tax free. Did, did you all know that? No, I just thought a bunch of pedophiles were going there to avoid being charged. Well, a lot of my Israeli friends in Costa Rica were like, whoa, like, hey, we could go back to the motherland. It's crushing. Like, there's so much, like, our, our money is protected. Because, um, you know, the graveler knows how to entice the graveler, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, um, but they've been enticing all these Jews to come back. And then COVID occurs. And then they have the highest percentage of people getting the jab, right? And so it's like, hey, everybody come back and bring your money and we're going to jab you up. And now there's now a inciting an extermination event. It, I want to know how this domino in the Middle East actually works with the dominoes that have been set in place with the Ukraine. Like in talking with Vox, do you like what what's his they're obviously both linked. Correct. Yeah. So what what are the dominoes? Because they've sucked a ton of money back into the Israeli pipeline. And now they're inciting this crazy war. How does that link with with what's happening in the Ukraine? Like well, Vox like, thinks that we've been in World War Three now for like a cut like a year. And yeah, this yeah. is what happened in World War One, where it started 
easy and people called it the false war and it was just kind of gradual. And what's been going on with China, Thailand, Ukraine, Russia, the BRICS, the SWIFT, the Saudi Arabia trying to get off the petrol dollar, the tensions, like we're in World War Three, you know? And so, yeah. and so I had a wacky thought that the Kazarians wanted to go back to Ukraine. They want to clear out all the denazify it, which means everyone that could hurt me. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think a lot of it has to do with financial systems. You want to talk about a, a pattern. I don't think it's a coincidence that the number one celebrity now associated with the NFL is Taylor Swift right? with the Swift system. Right. You know, and then when you're looking at who's playing in the Super Bowl, you got the Chiefs, which is, a, or we have the Eagle against the Chief, which is like the Indian against the American, like the India system, because they always do this shit with the Super Bowl. You know, like the Black Panthers with Newton against the the white Denver Broncos, right? As BLM's kicking off and the Patriots win in 2001. And and so, um, you know, Tampa Bay. That's why you this- call this Grabbler football is because even yes. the sports ball stuff reflects what Grabbler football has on its agenda. Oh, it's all completely linked. It's like the 33 yard line, you know, Bitcoin toss at the fucking, everyone's dead again. You know, it's like <laughs> shotgun confiscation. We're going back. Oh, he's squirting again, you know, and everyone's dead. Welcome to grab football. Bum, bum, um, bum, bum. Yeah. And it's, it's true. Like Tampa Bay was the first time in Super Bowl history to win at home during COVID lockdowns, like at home, you know, it's like now is that the universe? Is that like, Things because I see so many coincidences. Like I, I just gave back thirty three thousand dollars after three days. Like this shit happens to me all the time, and I'm not planning it. So it's like, is this just happening, or is this is that like a script? Like I, I honest to God, don't know because during COVID, I knew two very high ranking grabblers that were terrified of COVID, and they got vaccinated. It was like. George Soros's money guy, like the guy above George Soros was like, wash your hands. Oh, fuck. Like totally in. And I'm like, if that guy doesn't know how the, how the fuck is this a script? I don't know, man. You're you're onto something there because the whole trying to hurt me mentality is that the world, the external world is bad, dangerous. That's the whole, like fix the world. Tika Molam or however you say that, like the entire mentality is based on God is a punisher. Evil, like evil is the nature of humanity. The world is fallen and broken. Your body is dirty. So everything bad, bad, bad. And that, that worldview like externalized is that of course you're going to believe in cooties. Yeah. So, and they almost manifested like the way we manifested Bertaria and it was like unbelievable. They might have manifested the fucking virus, you know, where they're just like, they're literally doing this so much. that they, And I don't even, th- I don't even believe in viruses, like the way they're described, but like, you know what I mean? Like the mind virus where people are now reacting as if it's real. So they are sick. It's like, it's, it's, they all, they're like manifesting their own hell, you know, where they're like, cause it comes from trauma. Like if you're highly traumatized, you view the world. Well, it's a choice. You don't have to do this, but a lot of people do this. Where they're like, I have to control everyone around me so I'm not hurt again, you know? And so that's why trauma leads to like narcissism and control freaks. Cause you're like, you know, if I don't, if I can't control and manipulate everybody, like they can, they can hurt me. And that's why a lot of women are very manipulative uh, if they've been like raped or something. Cause they have to like mind fuck everybody so that they're not attacked again. 
Well, and, and so, oh, yeah. and there's another thing about this where, so I do this energy work biofield tuning thing. And so I've had a ton of experience working with people directly and getting a window into their life experiences. And one of the things that trauma does that's not as talked about something, something about the whole inner outer world reflection that we all experience where the outer world is manifesting based on our beliefs and our expectations about life is that the highly traumatized person, whatever that trauma has caused them to think life is or how life is, they will literally experiences will happen as if it's happening to them, especially if they believe things are happening to them and they're not happening to things that will repeat in the same type of feeling or pattern will happen over and over again. And so like Dylan says here, I think that it's baked in and people noticing it and giving the elites credit for it. Things like, you know, the, the conspiracy of the world is unwittingly disempowering. Like that's one of the things I can't stand about truthers is that, they're constantly externalizing all their power to the them. Yes. Like they yes. did this, they rewrote the history. I'm like, what if people just got lazy and stupid and lost the history, you know, or there's probably, it's probably a, a mix. It's not like all some big capital T they doing it to you. But if you believe it's being done to you, if you think life is happening to you and you're not happening to life, the patterns will repeat and it will verify your belief. It will feel like your belief is justified. Plus, we all know most people don't want the truth. Like, let's just be honest about it. People want what they want. We project onto them and we're all talking about projection because we want the truth and we're willing to like make the decisions that would actually allow truth to come to us. I used to project that onto tons of different people. Me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I unwittingly attracted sociopaths and psychopaths that took advantage of me because of that. That happened to me this week, dude, with Adam. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I'm like, why would anyone steal? Like, why would, like, you'd lose your whole honor. Like, this is, like, we can't even imagine why you would do that. Yeah. You know, it's low trust culture meets high trust culture just doesn't mix. It's like. It's weird. And there's also the predator aspect. Like there are predators. They see good natured people. They see good natured people that have charisma and they're like, Oh, I can steer. I can be the little, I can be the consigliere on the side and steer the ship. Let the charisma bring in the juice and I'll fucking steal from the back end. Exactly. And people do try to do that with me constantly. But it never works because they always project like after a few months, like what just happened with Adam is he was like being like, oh, Buzz Killington's just jealous of my money. And everybody just wants to everyone wants to control you. And they're just jealous because I have uh, I have your ear and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, the only reason you're getting paid so much is because he told me to because he likes you and he thinks I can be annoying. Like he doesn't care. He doesn't want to puppet me. He like thinks I'm annoying. Like you're retarded. He's like, hey, everyone's coming at me. I'm like, dude, you always sow your own destruction with that mentality. And that's why the grabber can't last. Because it's like, it's all based on this delusionary illusion. And then the cows just come home and people are like, that's why the winner mentality, back to what Dylan Sakashio was saying, is like, these people sin and do these horrible things, but we should see it as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you want to destroy comedy on Netflix with PC World? I'm going to take your shit. 
you want to make the soil bad? I'm going to make biochar and piss on it and sell it to you. <laughs> you know, exactly. and that's that's the winner move. The winner move is looking at these elites as people failing. Do you ever like, mix the biochar with your piss before you drink it? Fuck oh, right, the yes. winner mentality. Yeah. Speaking of. Mike Willer. Mike, what, what, what? Nice. What, 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 what up, later? I literally just messaged you, Mike, and I was like, pop in anytime, bring the winner mentality. And you didn't see that message, but here you are. So we're like, just like, see, that's what I mean. Like, that's not planned. I was like, it's about being a winner. Bang. Here's Mike winner. It's like constantly happening. I just Hilarious. got out of a workout. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Mike, gents. That, that hair, that hair is doing it for me, man. I love it. Dude, I got a new workout where I'm just being an animal while I work out primal movement. So I was like a cat. Then I did the bear the bear. Then I did a crab crawl. Nice. Then uh, the spider, though, is the toughest. The spider, Topher. Ooh, on the fingertips. On the fingertips, low, and you got your hips out. Yes. Yeah. Dude, I like to do the raccoon and steal a kid's bike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's too much white in that. Outfit. There is. There's too much white and gray. But they it's, have those that, black hands. Is that code for bowler bear, the raccoon? I don't say it out loud, but yeah, obviously. <laughs> okay, so there's a question in the chat about like defying grabbler. What is a grabbler? So it's a thing. It's basically a skexy, right? It's a behavior that because Jew is not accurate because I know because grab like the Pope is a grabbler, so you can't say like Jews. You know, it's like Bill Clinton's a grabbler, so you get it's like it's it's this. it's like every like once you feel like you get what a grabbler a grabbler is like the ones like. Oh yeah. Like they, they, they enjoy fucking people over and they're usually hunchback and they rub their hands a lot. And they're just like, they're, they're parasitic by nature. You know, they're like, uh, they're just saying, yeah, I, I don't know. Once you get what the grabber is, it's so obvious. And it's the best way to separate, you know, like misplaced Jew hate. Cause there's a lot of Jewish grabbers, but it's not because they're Jewish. Uh, and that's right. why the we fact just that there's not an insult word for that, or there's not like a cultural word for that. I mean, as you said in your special, Jew is the only one where the t- like the, the name of the, the group is, is is also the insult. <laughs> so yeah, like whites to- have white trash, blacks have the hard end, Jews have Jews. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like you can say you're a Jew or you're a Jew, and it depends on your eyebrows whether or not you're like insulting them. And that, well, well, the thing is like at the end of the day, bringing back the world wars, it's always repeatedly like going back even to the 1300s with the Templars that the Jews are set up to be the bagman, the fall guy for always. what the grabbler class is up to. So it's uh it's very tricky. Cause like, we can't like, we get these words struck from the lexicon otherwise, or you're bad if you say them, but that, you know, it's all part of the the language control to steer people eventually towards the victim class becoming the class that is blamed. And exactly. the cycle repeats again and again and again. Well, that's the irony is using the hard end, which I won't say on, on YouTube, but not because I think it's a bad word, is actually good for black people because it separates the bad. It's the Chris Rock joke. I love black people, but I hate hard end. You know, it's like the hard end wants uh, wants credit for shit you're supposed to do. I feed my kids. You supposed to, you fucking hard end. And there was a dude on Twitter. This black dude was like, "I don't want to be associated with this crime as a black man." Blah blah blah. And I retweeted. I'm like, 
If only there was a word that separated black men from the criminal element of blah, blah, blah. I'm like, (laughs) if only we had a word. Because what happens is if you don't have that word, like white trash, like whites totally have it. The the copper stealing meth addict who's blaming his dad for everything, right? White trash, no problem. If you don't have that word, the entire group gets blamed. And ironically, it keeps them in a more form of mental slavery. It's actually like the exact opposite of what they're claiming. Like to, to like, you know, the, the Jews will get blamed for the, the crimes of the banking class when a lot of them are just selling deli meat and bitching about the weather. You know, it's insane. So Mike, dude, how you doing? I always liked, I always personally liked the word heeb, so that was a good one. That's a <laughs> that strong one. one. That is good. I saw a bar once called heeb brew. And it was a juice on beer. <laughs> those are the Jews I want to serve. I want those Jews to do great. That's why I'm like, no one loves the Jews more than me. You know, like that guy's crushing it. Hebrew. That's awesome. That's hilarious. Well, we know I'm the sure whole, some like, white girl Semitic. got it canceled. What's that? Most, we know the whole, like, they're not Semitic, the ones that are the Zionists and all that. Like, that's the thing. Like, that's the thing Bear educated me about, like, 20 years ago is the history. Yeah. The Semitic people are literally the same. The Palestinians and the same. They're, like, the same. Well, it's back to that thing we were talking about with Hamas being derived from Ham. The Semites are supposedly descended from Shem. But when yeah. you get into the whole astrotheological allegory that that story is, you know, the being predicating something off of being a descendant of Shim is like saying you're a descendant of Gandalf or something. You know, like there's we can't verify some kind of historical timeline of the genealogy going back forever. And that's something that the ruling class has always employed are uh, grabbler genealogers to create the illusion that they have some sort of divine right of rulership going back to however far. So yeah, like even that word Semite is a talismanic because it's like, are we talking about a, a language group? So how That's can you be descended from that. a language? I thought it was a language like the Arabic and Hebrew is all Semite. Yeah. Cause the blood is bullshit. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're allowed to have your nation and your people and all that. And people, birds of a feather flock together, but we don't know who our ancestors are. No, you know, like most Jews don't know who their dads are. You know, it's whatever strong man was cleaning their pool while they were whacking off in their lawyer office. (laughs) That's their dad. So their fucking lineage goes back to that guy. They don't they trace the lineage by the on the matriarch side, the women's side. That's what they claim. Yeah, but you know, there's a lot of conversions and. Oh, and I saw this movie that just came out called uh, "Dumb Money." And it was like, they already have a movie about it. It's about the GameStop stock thing that happened two years ago. Uh-huh. So like a bunch of grabblers involved, including the, the head producer was the son of the CEO of BlackRock. But yeah. in that movie, one Very of the uh, like the, the top elite investors, a guy who I can't remember the actor, but he's a J. He's on the phone with another one of the investors, Seth Rogen's character. And he literally goes, I'm coming. I'm like, are they listening to you? <laughs> like he was jerking. Dude, I base it on reality. Like my old agent used to always, and he was like, lived in a Malibu mansion, you know, and, and hunchback, hand rubbing. And he'd always be like, man, I have a terrible posture. I've been drinking kombucha. Like he literally, and he would try to pinch me. He'd always look at me and go, you're so fucking big and handsome. Oh, fuck. 
And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. And then he'd like pinch me like he was marking me and he'd give me a bruise. And shoot, sometimes if he had any wine, he'd just have this smile on his face. And I could tell he was thinking about whether or not I had a huge dick. And I'm like, fuck, you guys are weird. Like, they'd be like, look at you, Joe, yeah. <laughs> and they're all like that. They're literally like, oh, yeah, fuck. Like, my ficus plant. Oh, yeah. I really like, liked your Weinstein, bit in the new Harvey special Weinstein, about... Go ahead. Well, I really liked your... your uh anti-giant bigotry bit in the new, yeah, yeah. new stand-up. Gabe, Gabe here, he's actually like 6'6 six, or something. Well, you get it. We've been attacked. Yeah, six, man. Four. I was terrified when I was a kid and I found out that they, uh, you know, they hunt giants. I was like, man, people are, <laughs> are going to misinterpret. They're going to misinterpret quick. And plus, <laughs> I'm also a ginger as well. So oh, I got shit. Nephilim in the house. Double profiled. That's, That's right. Extra hair all over the body. You probably have an extra row of teeth. Probably have six fingers. Let's get real here, Gabe. That's awesome. You, know, <laughs> so you were you were uh, tortured by all the all the Disney cartoons, young, where they like beat up on the giant. Mickey's like the tailor trying to attack the giant. Yep, every time. One, you know, one more weave on the Hamas. Uh, Chance, you know that uh, in the Greek uh, creation myth, that humans get their name from. Uh, from the likeness of the mud being similar to hummus. Oh, Latin word for soil is humus. That's it. And so the name human is related to this Hamas. And we know that that's part of the big fear tactic too now is that humanity is being replaced by machines. And so when they get their drone extra lethal forces against these Hamas, it's going to be machines against humanity. And that's what this is initiating. That's what this is seeding and kicking off. And I think they're collecting consent, too, like to get everyone to go, yeah, kill Hamas, kill it. And I'm like, you know what you're consenting to right now? Like, they're trying to get everyone to almost be like, yeah, kill us, like, control us, control humans. It's interesting. Yep. And again, it's an anagram for a shame, you know, or a sham. And a sham. <laughs> I don't think they're going to pull off this shit, man. I don't think that. I was just talking to a, a a a bear. You know, Wild Med Bear from the festival. Great guy, strong mustache. He like yeah. helped Samoan Poppy when he had the mint allergy. Great dude. Puts out wildfires. Legend. His grandfather was like one of the king Jews who like came here with nothing, started an insurance company. Like legend. Like super rich, multi generational. Grateful, hardworking, crushing. The next generation was like kind of weak. And then everyone started getting like gay and died of opioids. It's like they're, they're not maintaining. Like they're not yeah. like they think that they can do like these crazy things with their drones, but they, they're like going to start shitting their pants. Yeah, the whole I see the whole thing is just becoming a clown show because it's the that reality that black magic spells they've been trying to do has just been splintering apart and falling apart. Yeah, why we, it seems that's why I don't know if you guys covered the paragliders, but yeah, <laughs> oh, you did. Well, well, yeah, what do you got on the paragliders, dude? About. What you got? I we, what we, uh, we, what we came to was we decided that they uh, the, they like gliding because it reminds them of lube. But maybe you got something. Well, I just said that they're hella gay, but yeah, um, <laughs> they got no, their I training mean, in Dominicalito. I mean, I think with the black magic, it's what they try to manifest. It's not going so well for them because of the 
the you know the awakening thanks to the bears and interverse and alpha vedic like we're countering the black magic spells Mm -hmm. and i think that's also why you know my whole thing is thinking in destiny like when we when we think as a collective we create the destiny so you know that's why we see all these jokes that owen puts out popping up in pop culture it's because it's getting into the subconscious of the bear community and and that's actually now countering what they're trying to do and it's not i don't think it's anyone stealing jokes i think it's literally just how the how the reality structure works Bro, so that's where i'm getting I, I like don't even accuse people of stealing jokes anymore i used to like i used to spiral i'd be like word for word and now i'm like oh that's like a it's like we were talking about like a spider i'm like i hit a spider web and it just went like this and it just people felt it and they may have no idea why they're saying it. And I'm, I'm like honored now. I think it's great. I noticed it dirt. Whenever you figured out that you were a bean spiller that, you know, you started <laughs> saying spill the beans, the whole Gavin knew something. I started that very week, like day, days later, I started hearing everybody on other podcasts, even as far away as Australia, that as far as I know are not bear adjacent at all in all kinds of genres, like paranormal podcasts. They all of a sudden were like, Talk. They would say something about spilling beans. It just started popping up. Yeah, it's wild, dude. And you see it in media, like the the New York Post. Like I'll talk about something on a stream. Two days later, it's like a bear broke into a home, spilled some beans. He's thirty three years old. It's like it just (laughs) it gets so wacky, man. It's the Owenton window. Yeah, like Cocaine Bear, the movie. I, I just spent two years with a stuffed bear with a blown out nose from cocaine that happened to him in Tel Aviv. Like, that was my joke. All of a sudden, there's a movie called fucking Cocaine Bear. And everyone's like, best. dude. You know? That's the best. <laughs> Producer is, he, is probably from Tel Aviv. Is he, still in, is he still your inside man? Is he still over there? Yeah, he's been with Tommy Robinson in a sauna in Tel Aviv for years now. But he's, he's whacking everyone off. He's getting to the truth. Um, but yeah, it's it, dude. Cause we have the same rights that they do. Like if they want to manifest fucking COVID, we can manifest our shit and they don't have an advantage. Like th- their advantage is starting to fall apart of like their mass media. Cause now no one trusts it. And the people that are watching it are like low, like they're like kind of like not living. I'm not saying yeah. that they're NPCs or anything, but like they're not, I don't want to sound like a fucking a dick, but they don't, they don't have the same chutzpah, the same chi. I don't know what to say, but it's like a million, you know, Taylor Swift fans is like nine bears, you know, like as far as, I don't I know. I don't want it to meet people. I just spoke at a farm um, with a bunch of badass people and a bunch of bears there in Texas. Nice. Uh, really cool 200 acre farm. Uh, it was like a sovereignty festival. And I spoke about this. I was like, no, not everyone is equal. Due yeah. to the quality of your thoughts, there are different yeah. classes of people. Thank we you. We can't fall into that trap. Like if there are just doers to the bottom, I'm taking this from this dude, Percival, Thinking and Destiny. I love this book. I think I told you about it, Topher. Dude around the 1920s who just crushes it in this book. But basically, due to our, our mental diet and then how we protract that into reality defines the class we are of the human we are. And so you're either just a doer, just trying to fulfill your bodily desires or you're a trader, which is a grabbler. He talks about the traders in this. When I say trader, T-R-A-D-E-R, and that's trading their desires. So they're basically, their whole lives are around trading for their desires. Then there's the thinking class, which is us. And so we do what's best for what the thinking mind says is best. The philosopher, the poet, the bard, 
mm-hmm. you know, the podcaster. And it's not like we're just sitting around thinking we're doing. And then there's the knowing class and the knower is like the ascetic. It's the the freak that you barely ever see. Maybe it's like the 0.1% that are actually tapping into God consciousness, you know, um, you know, you barely get to see it. If you get to hang out with one of those guys once, like Topher, when we just last chatted and Bear had, had you know, he had that elder, Native mm-hmm. American elder he knew that kind of showed him some stuff. And I said, I think you said you knew a guy like that. Yes. Yeah. Like if you get to know a knower, you're stoked. But the thinkers, I was saying at this farm event on the stage, I said, the thinkers are coming together right now. And the thinkers aren't the traders. The traders are the grabblers. They're the ones that have been controlling the world for thousands of years or at the end of each cycle, the thinkers come in. And the thinkers kind of fix shit. And that's where we are right now where the thinkers are coming in. They're fixing everything. And the traders or the grabblers are losing their power. Yeah, the thinkers are starting to become the noticers. We're like, (laughs) what are you doing over there? (laughs) It's like, does it seem like there weren't a lot of those guys 40 years ago? Like people weren't like, so what is money? You know, they were just doing it. They were just kind of going along with it. And now there is this like, reassessment of what we've been doing for the last thousand years. And people are like, Whoa. Well, it's just because the lies have gotten so like out there. I mean, you I mean know- paragliding baby butchers at a gay <laughs> rave is to start a war and blow up a hospital. You tell me that that doesn't make sense through an iron dome. I mean, if that's not AI, AI writing that, I don't know. That's true. That's <laughs> because, true. You know, the paragliders has a, a echo, a historical echo when uh, Mussolini was uh, went missing for multiple weeks. He was taken hostage out in the forest, and they were trying to get psychics to d- divine his location. And it was his fellow fascist agents who were rangers, like the Italian rangers, who came in on paragliders and silently infiltrated the camp and saved his ass with hardly any shots fired. So they had to stab all those guards. It was all uh, it was all blade work. But that's a legendary story. But what happens echoing that now is giving hope to the Antifa crowd. So when Antifa hears an echo of these bad guys or parasailers, who the last time we heard that in history, they were saving Mussolini. That puts that crowd against the parasailer, uh, whatever, mythology. Well, what does AI do? AI pulls from like real actual people that do cool stuff. It just, it just steals everything. Right. So this is literally out of a James Bond movie. It's like, (laughs) that's what I think of paragliding. I think of like a 1965 James Bond movie that with the, where the villains are sweeping in on paragliders. Right. It's like, it's it's think about how easy it is to shoot a paraglider. You like barely, (laughs) you're just like, bang, bang. Like it it would be the worst possible entrance for uh, an enemy combatant like they're just slowly it's like a it's like they're coming in on a golf cart like yeah and they have to spiral up with thermals that's the thing like we would watch them for hours and hours they literally have to catch a thermal to to get rise it's not like it's not like they're you know have the ability like they're just they're descending if there's no thermal dude it's It's, basically rollerblades happened yeah. It's air blade, air rollerblading. <laughs> like it's basically like they rollerbladed in and took over it, it, the IDF. Like literally, I put para, paraglider in the same ballpark as rollerblading. You know, that's what's so funny stick. about it is like they puff up their, you know, their agents in the conservative alt right or whatever. You know, they puff up the capabilities of the IDF. Like 
you know, even in conspiracy culture, you hear the whispers of they've got all the data. They invented all of the surveillance technology. They all of everything feeds back to them. Yeah. They're the nexus of the entire new world order. But then they gave us the story of like, they can't even stop a paraglider. It's, you know, because the victimhood story doesn't mash with the overlords secret tech overlords story at all. Dude, tech doesn't actually get you there. It's like, you can give like a little nerd, a new Genesis 12 shotgun that my buddy invented. It's just like insane. And he doesn't even know how to use it. Like you, you can get the whole world's data. And if you don't know where to look or have that wisdom, like the knower you're talking about, what's the point? You're just, you're just probably listening to a chick and jacking off. Like you're, you're like low. You don't even know who to listen to. You know, you have to have the knowledge of even seeing where to look. Like you're in a library and you don't know what book to read. And it's, yeah. it's so Faustian and so funny and stupid. And I, the bit I was working on is, uh, you know, we had 747s and because of inflation, they just got some paragliders, <laughs> you know, because 9-11 was just, you know, but they're like, okay, what do we got? And they're like, well, we can afford paragliders. <laughs> it reminds me of the inflated uh, plane in the Afghanistan. Afghanistan uh, when we were leaving, remember? And it was like a yeah, weird yeah, the blown up plane because they couldn't afford a real one for the what, fakeness. What was this? Yeah. Uh, I oh. didn't know. That. Oh, dude, it was during. It was so stupid. <laughs> it was during when we pulled out of Afghanistan, and uh, there was like a clip where there was like all these Afghani's jumping on the plane trying to hold on, and it was like it. You could tell it was almost like a blown up looking plane. It wasn't uh-huh. even a real plane that they're when they were. Yeah, faking. it was like, and the number on it was like nine eleven. It was like the numerology was like retardedly obvious. It oh, was, wow. dude. It was, it was a balloon. So cheap. The grabblers are so cheap. They're using AI now to write their psyops, and the AI is doing a really shitty job. That makes sense. They so can't even sense. afford the humans anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Because they're so insulated, they have no idea that how the world actually sees them anymore. It's funny because the whole problem with AI and CGI, they call it the uncanny valley, where it almost looks real, but it's like creepy because there's something off, but you can't quite put your finger on it. And that's actually living grabblers. When you look at them, they are the uncanny valley of humanity. So, you know, it, it begs the question of, is this like demonic infestation or is this some kind of body snatcher thing going on? Well, I mean, to go back to what Owen was saying about data doesn't give you power. Look at your average academic Harvard master's degree individual who's triple jab, double mass during COVID. They have supposedly all the IQ in the world, all of the data, and yet they're doing the stupidest shit, believing in NASA, believing in nukes, believing in all the nonsense. They aren't very wise, dude. They're not. Dude, think about in. all these I, mansions filled with families, quote unquote families, where they're now celebrating that their posterity just chopped off their cocks. Like <laughs> that's the end of that. Like, you're, you know, thousands of years of getting past famine and war and all that. It's like you just got beaten by just chopping off your cock. Like mm-hmm. now there's no more wine for your family. No more cock. And the irony is they're going to be the only ones going to fight the war probably. Yeah, because they need hormones now. Did you see that catch that catch nine eleven, where it was like, where it was like all these trans people have to support Israel now, even though they want Black Lives Matter, because without Israel they can't get their hormones and they like they like they regrow their dicks. <laughs> well, there's probably something to the to circumcision, you know, is like the yeah. the G rated version of where now they're going. 
You know? Yeah, so. dude, they did, it's inflation. They started with the tip, and they're like, well, because of inflation, we got to take your whole shaft now. That makes sense. Yeah, they just keep going. It's like you just – it's the hedonic treadmill. You, you can't get satisfied with baby t- tips of their dicks for years and centuries. You're like, just give me the whole dick, you know? And then they're like, and put them on hormones and fucking eat them. And that's how you end up in these, like, monstrous societies. I think I think it's I think they're landing the plane at this point. I don't see how they grabble their way out of this. It's just too obvious now. It's just too like like remember when Mohammed Atta's passport fell from the plane? They've always right. been bad. They've always been ridiculous. Yes. So a plane exploded hitting a building and a passport of the hijacker fell down right at the feet of an FBI agent. And that's how they knew it was Mohammed Atta that morning. So that their narrative made sense. Dude, what? it's a Hollywood writer's room. They're like, well, how do we know it's Muhammad out there? It's like, I'm oh, fucking passport. And now people are like, no, shut up, dude. I've lost too many friends to opioids. Like, well, to, to your point, they've always been bad. Like, you can go back to like the JFK assassination, 9 11, all this stuff. The Hindenburg. So we know that their writing has been bad. There was probably people like us back then that were like, this is bullshit. My question is, do they actually even need to be good to get the consent? Because when I talk to my Christian friends or my friends that I should say identify with Zionist Christian ideals, they're they're fucking all in. Like they're <laughs> really they're all in on the paragliding? They're like World War Three. Dude, because I'm telling you, there's something with entrainment technology where you're not actually dealing with the person that you think you're dealing with. Totally. They're in? Like, you know people that you respect that are all in on this? My oldest friend, his fucking pastor says something, even though he thinks he has a mind of his own, he literally doesn't. Like, he fucking goes straight to the narrative that's on the TV. There's something because there's something with I've seen this my entire life. I said this to my parents when I was younger. I'm like, why would they tell us what's going on? Because my parents had all this arrogance because they watched the news and they thought they were well informed. And I'm like looking at the TV and it's nothing but war and death and all this shit. And I'm like, why would they tell us what's going on? Because they have have everybody's. demographics mapped out they know where we are generationally like right now it's the mid it's the mid i call it the midwife crisis for a heap ton of very important souls it is while we are while we still have some fighting years left in us uh say us i'm just talking about our age yeah yeah yeah. and so the people who have that zionist bent to them they're like hey Maybe I could get a couple punches in before I'm on the ropes and I'm and I got to check out of this lifetime. You know? Well, with that, I wanted to talk to you, Gabe, specifically about Bo- Boates. Bo- how do you say that? Boots? Boates. Boates. The Greek way would be Boates. Boates. The herdsman, Adam in the sky. And the eclipse, like give give us the give us the like full symbolic gravy of this eclipse because you're the yeah. man to do it. Right. Uh, thank you. Yes, we are. We're right between uh, a full solar eclipse just happened, and that means that there is inevitable follow up of a of a lunar eclipse that comes next week. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, if you guys don't mind, <clears throat> I'll try to be concise. But we are in a very sacred time period. 
And the fact that we're meeting with the with this uh, grand master of comedy on this particular night, I'm gonna I'm gonna sync up all kinds of wild gravy if you guys give me a minute. Yes, yeah, right. I can't no, even no. believe the alignment. So so yeah, last week we had the solar eclipse. Uh, uh, the, this whole pop off in the Middle East was just days after, or no, days before Aleister Crowley's birthday, October twelfth. It's also October 12th is the first day of, uh, if anybody has seen The Watchmen, Alan Moore's comic, mm-hmm. the very opening scene of The Watchmen is October 12th, Aleister Crowley's birthday. So all the chaos popping off for these 93 hard-ons is, is just stroking their, their preference. It's a couple days later, Frederick Nietzsche's birthday is October 15th. And I just learned, fascinating to me, Frederick Nietzsche's birthday is the beginning of a Hindu holiday that is a nine-day holiday. It's called Navaratri. You thought Buotes was a hard word to say. Navaratri is a nine-day event. And each day is a different Devi. And these Devis, I perceive them as harmless, beautiful, feminine, they're riding on elephants. They got flowers in their hands. There's only one of them who's really scary and freaky. Uh, you know, on day number seven, uh, it, she's got a bloody sickle over her head. But what's going on here in my project over on my channel, I did the Plato Symposium on the Enneagram and found out that Plato Symposium is encoding a much deeper truth that everybody wants you to think that that comes from the seventies. It comes from Gurchev and Gurchev got it from some Sufi mystics. This thing is ancient. It's been programming and uh, setting our expectation for a very long time. It's quite sophisticated. It's, it's a very long story, but these, uh, these sovereigns sitting in a circle uh, discussing the nature of love, passing the talking stick it's uh, the symposium is called the touchstone. It's called the test. Come to find out, each one of them has a, a job or a role to play in society. The first guy is a rhetorician. The second guy is a lawyer. Uh, funny enough, it's the lawyer who is the one who brings pederasty into the conversation. Now, everybody wants to turn and run and gra- clutch their pearls when they hear pederasty. I'm here to tell you, if you've ever taken a lawyer on, you participated in a pederastic ritual. And so it's not about children. It's about infantilizing full-grown adults Mm -hmm. so that we still engage in rituals that are pederastic in nature. Well, and and, and just on a note on that, that's why we're all minors with our all caps. Mm -hmm. We were considered minors by that in all law and maritime law and how the whole system is. Right. And that's how lawyers relate to that and all. Go ahead. Yes. So that was that was uh, quite a black pill for me to swallow in the project. I'm like, this is disgusting. They're talking about adults with kids. And I'm like, wait a second. Check myself. No, we still do this shit. We still socially accept this pederastic ritual when you go to a lawyer. So, of course, it's the lawyer in the room who brings that subject up. And it's still going on today with adults. So. The next character is uh, the physician. Well, actually, the next character is the comedian. He's in seat number three. But when he hears the lawyer speak despicable hypocrisy, he catches a case of the hiccups. 
he actually goes into a conniption fit because of the amount of hypocrisy he just witnessed. And it's the, the comedian who is the master of recognizing hypocrisy so much so that he can't speak right now. He's like in a conniption. So the physician comes and takes his place. He's like, here, hold your breath. And if holding your breath doesn't cure your hiccups, then tickle your nose with this feather. And so he actually sets Aristophanes aside. Bro, I got to tell you a real quick gravy thing. When I recorded my special, the first couple minutes, I literally had lost my voice. How funny is that? Like, I was like, I like couldn't even talk. It was like weird, man. I mean, I, I attributed a little bit to, uh, to just being outside in the heat a lot. I got my voice back, but I couldn't talk. I, it was like, it was fucking funny, man. It was and the fact that you just said that the comedian lost his ability to speak is fucking hilarious. All right, we're going. It was buddy. like RFK yeah, shit. Got, yeah, it sounded like RFK. <laughs> I got more. I got more. I got more. Right. So Eryximachus takes his place so he can so he can recuperate, and then Eryximachus comes and talks about harmony. Uh, and he's and his muse is the muse of music, the physicians. Muse is the muse of the sick, right? Ah, What's going on here? This story is not as old as they're telling us because the play, the play with the words and the punnery is not nearly 2000 years old. That's what I'm getting out of it. But let me tell you something. Today is the fourth day of Navaratri. Today is the day of Kushmanda. Today is the day of the muse of comedy. Whoa. Nice. That's and awesome. here we are chilling with Owen Benjamin. That's the, awesome. The synchronicity is through the roof. And you're telling me that you had to hold, you had to go outside because you had a hard time with your breath before the presentation. Dude, this synchromistic stuff, it's, it's completely a causal. It's completely a causal. And I'm not, I'm not here to answer for it, but I will tell you what I'm seeing. We are walking in a very mystical realm in these. Totally. These, these magics are ancient. They're ancient. Flick dissident on Cash App. Send this guy Cash App super chats. Buy him a coffee. Did Please. I see like I see I see like the retarded sinks? Like for example, a Mexican <laughs> tried to steal my money, and I like did this amazing thing, like just giving it all away for free. And then I go on Google, and there's it was like you know Google always has their shit that they put on the front. It was a fucking Mexican. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's like not deep or profound it's just that happens all the time just a mexican guy right on google yeah i'm really i'm really stoked about the uh, <laughs> fi- finding that the greeks are actually uh relating back to the the hindus uh, but i'll tell you t- so tomorrow is the day of the tragedian and the muse of tragedy is melpomene and she's a sad, she's a sad state of affairs. Uh, she's also, uh, number five is an observer in the Enneagram. Um, so that's on tomorrow. And then, uh, after that comes the, uh, it's actually the missing seat. There's an empty spot in the symposium, the seat number six, which is actually the loyalists. This is where, uh, people who believe everything they hear, people who think that this story is 2000 years old. Mm-hmm. So that's the loyalist seat. That's the yes sayer. Seat number seis is say yes. The yes sayers are seat number seis. And mm-hmm. then and then seat number seven is uh Socrates himself. And Socrates, he's he's the one holding the bloody sickle, which is actually the question mark today. 
And it is the question mark that is the remover of obstacles, the remover of ignorance. And uh, I think uh, day number seven, we should be looking for some fireworks to really pop off. Should, should get bloody on day seven. Tomorrow is five. Wow. So yeah. when's, when's the lunar eclipse? Okay, great. Okay. Thank you for getting me back on track. Yeah. Uh, so then day number eight is uh, uh, the is um, Elcibiades. And a lot of people know the story of Elcibiades. He's a challenger. He's a controller. He's a lusty one. He's out of control. He wasn't invited. He's an interloper to the party, which is very uh, quintessential uh, scorpion energy. We're in the season of betrayal right now with scorpion. But then uh, day number nine is um, uh, the, uh, rounds it all out. The balanced peacekeeper, the resolution, the synthesis is day number nine. But also day number nine at the end of Navratri is also United Nations Day. Ooh, Whoa. UN Day, the people that run the world. The fucking United Nations Day is at the end of Navratri. So Frederick Nietzsche's birthday starts Navratri. And United Nations Day is the end of Navaratri. And then I think it's only uh, four days after that is the lunar eclipse pops off. And so we are in a very sensitive time. So for people to be jacking your money, Owen, uh, I'm not making excuses for them, but they are they, they don't see what I see. It's it's highly cosmic. It's highly Dude, I don't hold I don't even care. Like I don't like I'm not I don't take it personally. Right. I just yeah. thought like that's why like I have a mentality where it's like, well, what can I do with this offering? Like, okay, I can make this public display of how funny it is to give all the money back and like what really matters in life. And so it all it's always good. Even like the coyote teaches you to build a fence. Like without the coyote, there's no fence. It's like I have no problem with people popping off and getting wacky because I, I now know that they're never a threat. They're like okay, so how do you use this energy to, to do something cool with it? And so I see the same thing with the world war. It's like people are freaking out and scared, but it's such an opportunity, like a reshuffling of the deck and burning of the dead wood and everybody that's in this crazy mentality where someone else is thinking for them, like a bunch of J's want 250 grand of free tax money. So they just like run into hell. It's like, you know, it's sad, but it's not the, it's, it's natural. It's like, it's a revealing. And if you're like aware of all this stuff and you've accepted the burden of self-thought and sovereignty and whatnot, it's huge, huge opportunities. Like we could almost take over entertainment. They're getting so dumb. Like it's like the stand-up specials now on Netflix are so like people in the comments and mine, I hadn't been on stage in four years. They're like, Holy shit, that, I haven't seen comedy like this in years. Like, this is my favorite set. And it wasn't even that great. It's just great compared to every, all the shit they're making now because they're all paid by Pfizer. So they all have to be anti-human. Abortion's great. Vaccine, anti-vaxxers are stupid. Molesting kids is great. You know, sodomy. But, so they have to do that because they're all funded by these Malthusian psychopaths. So it's like, Okay, if you just don't do that, you're now the best comedian in the world. You know, if you just don't have poison soil, you're now the best farmer in the world. It's like, it's laughable, the opportunities right now. People just like hold their head and they don't freak out like a herd, you know? Bar is pretty low. But one thing too, Owen, is with the lowest common denominator, gun for hire, mercenary type of comedy, it pretty much excludes any opportunity for community-based inside jokes yeah, yeah yeah 
that's one of the things I think if like your special is great, but if you are somebody that gets the inside jokes that are part of it, it takes it to a whole new level. It's way yes. more entertaining and you just don't get, there's, there's no comedians that have authentic community like that, um, that I'm aware of anywhere that I would align with. So I really appreciate that aspect of it. Well, yeah. Cause I'm not going for the whole world. I'm going for my guys. So it's like, I remember in Hollywood way back and even like 2012, some of these comedies were so bad. And I talked to one of these big, big guys and I'm like, why is it so bad? And they're like, Oh, we're trying to appeal to China. So I'm like, you guys now have to be so bland. They're like, what? You get hit in the dick. You fall downstairs. You like, you slip on a banana peel. Like literally that's where we're at now. So, so the niche is actually great. Like a lot of my favorite companies are not made for everybody. They're like highly specific companies that, you know, like I, I hosted the art director guild awards with like Leonardo DiCaprio and all this stuff. And I, I crush it. And afterwards, I get all these like offers and attention from people through my management. And one of them was Kohler. And so Kohler wanted me to do a, a commercial for them because they saw me at the, the thing. So they, they fly me to Wisconsin, Kohler, Wisconsin. They own the whole town. It's a private company. It's not on the stock exchange. They're so mind-blowingly rich. And no one even thinks about it. They make like toilet, toilets and sinks. It's Kohler. They have, they're not on the stock market. They're not a public company. They have, not only do they have no debt, they literally own an entire town in Wisconsin. It's like, it's like the robber baron days. And I was like, that's what I want. Like, I want to be Kohler. I don't want to be Sony or Pepsi or Coke where you're like this blind coyote jumping at any opportunity because you're in so much debt. You're like enslaved by the devil. It's like Kohler is just, they make toilets and they're fucking crushing. And so I've gotten to see behind the curtain with a lot of like where real money and real power is. And it's not in this like be loved by the whole world, plunge into infinite debt, be so famous. Everyone knows who you are. I'd way rather be the guy that gets recognized once a day, once every other day, but it's like a real connection versus like everyone knows you and just wants to smell your hair. Like that's a nightmare. The new model like, you know, I don't know what you think, uh, Gabe or Chance, because you guys are the astrology pros, and I know there's a lot of Tover would be, but he believes in sidereal. So <laughs> that's real sky for, for all you fuck ups that only look at computers. Well, I <laughs> <laughs> this Aquarian age concept though, like if you just take it from a just like from pure from the sign, like we're moving into a more community base. We're leaving the Piscean age, which was all about authority, looking up to figures, being in cl big cliques. Now we're moving into a decentralized community based sort of mentality. And this is like what we're seeing happening. And that makes a lot of sense for entertainment. Right. And so, you know, there's no need for one size fits all entertainment anymore. And that's what's beautiful about what we're what we're all doing is we're creating our own communities and we're thriving in that sense. So uh, and it's it lends to a lot more laughs too when you have inside jokes and you have like actual witty humor and not just, I mean, there were some good comedians in the nineties and stuff in the eighties, but um, man, I'd much, I, I've laughed way harder with my homies when we're going deep into some nonsense that nobody would understand. Like totally Kelly laughing, you know, like this last weekend I was with guys and we were, we were saying jokes that no one would understand, but I was dying on the floor laughing. So there's something to that man, for sure. Dude, I used to love touring uh, all over the world. You know, I've, I've performed everywhere. And it's like, 
each area. I used to want to do a documentary just on like different regional comedy and like what, you know, you go to like Wales, it's totally different. You like, you hang out with the local comedians and the Irish and Belfast is like Belfast is so different than Dublin. And America has that too, but America's a little more homogenized. I don't know if Europe's gotten more like that, but I remember just in England, like each area had wildly different um, uh, comedy sensibilities. And then you go to Canada and, you know, it's, it's just fascinating, man. It's like, it's like the real nature of people is through comedy. It's like, that's, you can see what a culture is and what they value. You know, like a lot of white comics would tank in Miami and I'd crush because um, they liked more alpha comedy. They don't like dry. They don't want a hipster being like, I was at the laundromat. It said whites only. So I said they were racist. It's like, they're like, Kay, fuck you. But if you're up there, if you're up there like doing alpha, like more like pleasant. Yeah, like they don't want to hear like this, this like hipster. They're like, move you know life but if you got a giant just being like you know that like a joke they'd love i'm like dude i got a couple of hispanic friends instead of saying ha ha you guys are like ja 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 and i'm like fuck i'm killing it and your grandmother's always trying to kiss me i'm like bro such a great family i think your grandma wants to fuck me and they're like dying laughing because it's like ballsy it's like going and so i i used to always ask my agents like put me with Spanish people. I used to open for Julio Iglesias and no one else wanted to do it. They all wanted their like, they're like, you know, liberal, like, you know, I was, uh, and I'm like, no, and your musical and your musical, the, the, yeah. Like I would just do like, I do, I do a bit called all the Spanish I know. And it would just be like, and I just keep saying random. That was my favorite part of the special was like the unplanned Donde El Baño. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just, and they love that shit. They love like the stupid gringo that you want to be friends with, you know? And then you go to San Francisco and it's all about, but I used to crush with them. Like the gays love being mocked and treated like shit. This is the one thing that people don't understand about gays. Just fucking ripping on gays. They're like squealing with self-hatred and joy. And then you go to like the redneck. It's it's all different. Then you go to the Mormons in Utah and I do like a private corporate event where it had to just be like they would laugh to show virtue to each other because I'd be so clean and virtuous that they would like, ha ha ha. It's like, I relate to that because I'm so virtuous. It's like, I was fascinated. I do all this in one week. I'd be like, Utah, Miami, San Diego, New York City, all the Jews. Uh, and it's, you know, and then it, that's why it never worked on me when they tried their spells. Like, oh, racist, sexist, anti-Semitic. I'm like, if I'm so sexist, why are these chicks all trying to have sex with me? And they're like, oh, fuck you. It's like, if I'm so anti-Semitic, why are these like Jews all hanging out with me after pretending I'm their dad? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I think you you got it. You weren't coming with ego and a plan set. It's like when I DJ, it's a two-way street. You got to feed off who you're talking to. Who, totally. Who is. Yeah. I, I never plan that when I DJ, I come in and I got to be on my toes and I got to be feeding off what the audience, what the dance floor is doing. Otherwise, you're going to eat a dick. That's not what Gardner yeah. does. When Gardner massages, he has one mode. He doesn't just listen. One. Just one. He's never grounded. <laughs> and he just digs. And he just That's wants it. to make them feel That's pain. It. Elbows, elbows. Just and fuck you. And if they don't like it, it's their fault. <laughs> I've experienced. You're telling the truth. I had to super chat because of it. 
He did that to me. That's true. <laughs> it's true. He makes sure he doesn't ground, he doesn't listen, and exactly. it's all about him. That's right. No for those of you for those of you with uh, vaccine damage, I'm just kidding. Did you uh, massage at the Bertaria thing, Topher, or were you just kicking it? No, I was slinging char the entire time. Slinging a char. You're burning yeah. it, slinging it, crushing burning it. Burning it, slinging it. Yeah, it was it was char char binks time. It was the entire time, and I was kicking it with my man Chance. I heard the yeah, event. Was great seeing Chance. That was I heard awesome. the event was amazing. Congrats, Owen. I heard from a lot of our community that they had a blast there. Super Thanks. Super yeah, it's, uh, it was like because I've been getting hammered for taking that risk of crowdfunding for land. It was just opened me up for like every accusation in the book, and to see like that it actually worked and all of it was true was like so good for me because I really, even though I can be confrontational, I really don't like like just having people talk shit to me. It's like not very fun, and so I took a big risk with this idea of crowdfunding land and. uh and it turned out so awesome that it was a big weight off my shoulders. You know, it was very healing for me in the sense that I thought I hated stadiums uh, and I thought I hated uh, music festivals. And it, I don't hate either of them. What I hate is inebriation, like mass exactly. inebriation. Exactly. And now that I know what that vibration actually is, it I, I've actually gone back in my consciousness and been like, ah, oh, I've been able to let go of a lot of stories that I was holding on to being being in these huge settings where there's just just tons of inebriation, that total Dionysian like chaos indulgence thing. And it was just so nice being with people that were just simple and like the simple pleasures of life, of family and friends. And just like, it was just so simple. Well, dude, like when I say demonic infestation, there's, I'm not really being hyper hyperbolic. I used to be a big festival guy, like music festivals, really liked EDM festivals. There weren't any paragliders coming down and stabbing us or anything, but you're, you're going to have to pay that gay away. But go I, on. I know I'm still <laughs> I'm saving up for the gay away. Right. But like, okay. There was a time where this kind of thing had happened more than once, but the most specific story I can think of is there was a dude I was having a personal conflict with in my life. He was not at this festival, but while I was at this event, some random drunk person came up to me out of the crowd, like zeroed in on me, came up to me there, you know, like a zombie shuffle, super intoxicated. And they said to me the exact, like very specific, weird catchphrase that this other dude who I was having problems with, and he was a drug addict would say. So like two people in a, a drug state, you know, it's like whatever the demon was jumped into this other person just to come try to intimidate me. And that's when I knew I was like, okay, there's more, there's a, there's a deeper game going on here, especially with these big mass Dionysian intoxication events. It's an energy harvesting thing that goes on. Yeah. The Muslims say the shite, the spirit of the shaitan swims through Adam. Like, like, like I can't remember what it is, but it's basically like schools of fish through water. Like if you open yourself up to that demonic energy, it can just swim through you. You know, and I 100% agree with you. I've seen trolls come at me with stuff so specific and so 
private that I'm like, how did you know to say that to me right now? Like, that's so wild. Mm-hmm. The cleanest festival I've ever been to. Yeah. And like to the point where children were playing everywhere. And yeah, I don't like crowds either. Cause I used to have to be drunk to be in crowds. I'm like, I have yeah. to drink five drinks or I'm going to hate this place. Right. And the, and the Bertaria festival is the exact opposite. If anyone was drunk, they looked retarded. Jack O'Bat. <sighs> He's so, a good guy, though. I love uh, Jack O'Bat. I'm inspired to tell my my story of when I got cursed. Let's hear it. This is fa- and this was before you know. I have improved my kung fu since this story. I've learned so much since then. So everybody listening, you learn from my mistakes here. I was invited. Uh, so I uh, studied capoeira for almost 20 years. My instructor. Uh, invited me so secondhand invitation to another instructor's dojo in denver big big shot this guy's got a full operation he's got schools in brazil he goes to and he's got a school in denver he's a big operation so my instructor invited me to come along with him to this uh to this hoda which literally means hoedown and we show up in our tribe we have a specific style we wear shoes when we play and uh, Capoeira is Afro-Brazilian ritualistic breakdance fighting. And so there's music, there's acrobatics, and there's, uh, and there's a lot of dangerous risk. And the longer you play, the more dangerous the game becomes. Well, before the, before the music even starts, the, the host of the party, the, the lead instructor for this school I'm at, he eyeballs me. And he looks at me and he like says, and this is all in Portuguese. I can barely understand what he's saying. He's like, what's up with those shoes, man? Why you got shoes on? And I'm like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. They're sanctified. And he's like, what's that mean? And he looks to his friend. And he's like, what's sanctified me? <laughs> and I'm like, no, they're clean. They don't have any energy from the street. These are my, these are ritualistically pure. And he's like, uh, and then he looks over at my instructor and he's like, is this guy cool? Should he, should I let him be here? And my instructor looks at me like, who are you? <laughs> my, my own teacher is like, I don't know. So I get the nod of approval. I play for about an hour. And then this lead instructor asshole, he stops the music and he calls me out and he pulls me into the ritual. And he, and he starts the whole thing over. He sings a, a, a new a litany song. It's called the La Dainia. And while he's singing, he's actually, he's making these grand gestures. And he's giving me backhands, like inadvertent smacks to the back of my head. I'm like dodging moves that I didn't even know were coming. And in the middle of the, of the game, it's about five minutes long. In the middle of the game, he puts these weird fucking nujitsu moves, one on each one of my knees. And I didn't notice it at the time. It was, he didn't touch me. He just puts the hand signal towards both of my knees. And I finish the game. Everything's fine. But as soon as I walk out of the circle, my knees go completely loose. Whoa. Lock into place. And I can't, I'm walking weird. I'm, I'm, I'm just not walking right. And I try to stand there for the last hour and a half of the game. And I'm like, what the fuck happened to my knees? And why did it happen when I walked out of the circle? And I now know that you're actually supposed to close off and leave the, you leave the game in the game. You don't bring it with you out in the world. You're supposed to close off the ceremony and say a prayer of, of cleansing before you walk out of that endeavor. 
So I took that energy with me unknowingly. I was in over my head, way over my head from the jump. I now have learned all of these things, but here's what's funny, not funny. I walked like, uh, like I had hip dysplasia for almost four months after that because my knees, I had a infrapatellar bursitis as a result. But that's, and that's psychosomatic. Sure. I'll like, I'll accept that maybe it's psychosomatic. That's fine. But the weird thing is that every time for years that I would walk past his dojo out in the street while he's in the middle of performing in his dojo, totally involved in his ceremony, his eyes would pop up and lock eyes with me from inside his dojo and I'm out in the street. And it happened three times where I notice it. So I start telling my friends like, okay, guys, this is weird. He's catching me. He's catching a vibe from me from all the way outside of the dojo. So my friends are like, okay, this month we're going to go on the other side of the street where he shouldn't even be able to see you. And you look at him. So we're trying to be experimental with it. And I'm not going to look at him. And my friends are going to keep their eyes on this lead instructor and see if he responds. As soon as I came into view, he locked, he looks right up, right across the street, looks at me. And I'm walking, not looking at him. And I'm asking my friends, is he looking at me? Is he looking at me? And all my friends are like, he's fucking looking at you, bro. He's looking at you. And so, are you guys cool now? No. No. That's wild. <laughs> so, so he did the knee thing to you. He took your kneecaps. You know, oh. that's, that, that's going for home, you know, in the Maseroth. The the Capricornian home energy. You were in his house and he was letting you know you're in his fucking house. You nailed it, Topher. That's what I wanted to finish with. Thank you, brother. You get to the heart of the matter. Here's Also, he's the authority in that place, which is the Capricorn idea. He lays the terrain. He set the the ground. Capricorn. You got to control the territory. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'll tell you about a curse at a later date that I got. It was really fucking weird. Fellas, I'm getting summoned. I got to roll, but this has been a blast. Yeah, let's do it again sooner, man. BB. Yeah, I love hanging out with you guys. Let's talk soon. Yeah, be, fix be good. Events. Thanks right, for peace. coming on. See you, I love it. OwenBenjamin.com. Check out the Noble Savage, uh, you know, comedy special. I got to check it out. The mean it's, to watch it. it. You should. It's worth it. It's free now, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is it? Oh, that's smart. That's well, you now it. that, uh, why, why don't you tell us about the curse, Topher? What else we got going on? Dude, so everybody in Costa Rica, like uh, part of your initiation when you go to Costa Rica, especially the southern zone, is to go visit the Bereke Indians. And they're the only indigenous people that are left from from the Talamanca mountain range. And what they do is they paint these masks and these masks are made out of balsa wood and they carve all these ornates like animals and everything. It's almost like a three-dimensional ayahuasca journey. It's like, that's what it feels like. And so these masks, when I first started going down there in the early 2000s, these masks were like very like for the art and the cutting in the shaving of the balsa wood and just the colors that they would use, they were severely underpriced. Like it was incredible art and the detail back then was just amazing. And so a British friend of mine was buying them in bulk 
and she she was always going up there. My uh, old in-laws were in town. We're like, hey, let's go up to the Bereke's. And I was like, perfect, cool, let's do it. And so we drive. They were only like an hour and a half away. We go up into the mountains and we enter their settlement and it's disgusting. It's like, I felt like I was back in India again. Like it was like tenement housing, like government tenement housing there. That was all like precast concrete buildings. There was no green anywhere, even though they were on top of this mountain that was like a, a rainforest. It was, it was really a depressed site. And, um, we were going to take the tour and have lunch there and everything like that. And I was the guy who was driving everybody and I'm, we're walking and there's this old woman, like she's like, I mean, she was probably like 50 feet away from me and she turns and looks right at me and she goes, she points to her eyes and she does this. And then I just like lost all the energy in my body. This is like 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm a morning person. Like, like I did not know what happened. Like I felt like I was dazed and then I just went and laid down. They did the tour. They ate, they bought everything. Three hours later, they're like, I I couldn't drive. So my, my old father-in-law, he was, he was driving and we got off. The second we got off the reservation, I was revitalized. Like I was so out of it that literally they laid me across the, like I couldn't sit up. I was laid out. That's the best way of saying it. I was just laid out. I was laid out in their cafeteria. I was laid out in the car. The second we got off of the the reservation, I, I, I just perked right up. And I'll never forget that old lady. Like she was in the road and for whatever reason, she hit me with some juju that like, at that time in my life, I had no way of processing. It just dropped me. And then um, I had some, I had a soul retrieval, like maybe a year or two later. And they were going through all the different traumas in my life. And that was like a very severe trauma. I had no idea. Like <laughs> my, my, um, it was a soul retrieval with my, one of my totems. And like, the totem animal came in and was just like, just totally taking off all of these hooks. So I, I drew the ire of probably like one of the, the more, um, I don't know, disgruntled elders in that community. Like she, she wasn't, she didn't like our presence there at all. And I got it. Mega powerful. (laughs) I'll call it like psychic vampirism, you know, in a way. Because of the fact that you were like drained, but was what's kind of interesting is it was almost, I, I don't know. I feel like when you do that type of stuff, there's a cost to the person doing it. Well, but, she looked like hell. Like she didn't, she wasn't like this vital. She looked like the prototypical hag or witch. Right. That's what she looked like. She was in all black. She was walking across the street. She was like all crumpled. And she, when she turned at me, she had like, I would never want to be in her, in her like vestige of humanity like that, that wouldn't be my choice ever. I had an experience less intense than that, where I met this, I've told this on the show probably before, but I was at a party and uh, there, you know, 
I like to just mix it up and talk about heavy duty, spiritual woo energy stuff. Always have. And there is this guy uh, that was, you know, he's very dark <laughs> in, in all ways. <laughs> and black. He, he, black guy? <laughs> yeah. And he kept getting, you know, elbowing his way into the circles I was in and redirecting the conversation towards himself and like bringing, um, bringing the other people's attention to the idea that like he knows stuff that nobody else knows and he's very special and he's got the secret knowledge. So listen to him. And, uh, at one point, you know, I kept just moving away from him and setting up my own energetic perimeter somewhere else. But at one point I felt I was talking to somebody and all of a sudden I felt this, it felt like somebody had thrown a dart, like at a dartboard, but the dartboard was the back of my head. Like there was an impact and it was sharp, mm -hmm. hit me right in the back of the head. And I turned, you know, just reflexively in the direction where it came from. And there's this dude. He's like looking right at me, like waiting for me to turn around and notice. And mm -hmm. <laughs> at that point I was like, no, dude, no. And I just like from across the party, I said, I said like, fuck no, <laughs> something like that. And then, uh, you know, did my intentional putting up of, energetic barrier and like very clear, like you're not in this bubble you're out there. Mm -hmm. And so no more of that kind of shenanigan happened, but it was kind of like playful. He just wanted me to know, like I I've got black magic. <laughs> he could throw his cheese. My, my, the, I guess you would say my mentor in Qigong and he was the chiropractor I worked for, for three years. He, he would do this, this, this move every morning. And before I saw him doing this move, we used to call him penis fingers because you look at his hands and it would just look like he had these giant dick fingers. Right. And, but his, his hands were like the size of my hands. They weren't huge, you know? And, but it was like, there was a lensing effect that was going on. And I was like, wait a minute, this makes no sense. Cause he would see 40 client clients a day and he would do that four times a week. So he had 160 people that he touched. And so he would do, he would just work the chi and he would like just build it and build it and build it. And he taught me the whole surrogate hand technique. And when you would put the surrogate hands on, the energetic, it was like looking at your hand through water. Everything from an energy perspective. I can see the penis fingers in your hands right now. There, there's a lot of chi in my hands. There is. <laughs> there is. But like the, the, yeah, when you do that move and you just, you just match it to your breath and you just, you can feel the ball grow. And people can throw that like you can take that ball as like a, as an energetic pattern and you can toss it like yeah, I, I could put I've done this before. It's been a long time since I did it, but I could have you put your hands like this in front of you and I could put my hands outside of your hands mm -hmm. and I can make your hands open up by expanding that ball. Yeah. And I can push them back towards each other. And you would be like, you know, Topher, you wouldn't maybe be that freaked out by it. But people would be freaked out at how, like, I am not telling my hands to move right now. How are they right. moving? Exactly. And I'm like, that's what Qigong is supposed to feel like. <laughs> exactly. when, you're, when you're moving your energy with the breath, your physical body movements are actually almost like automatic, like they're on a track. And I think that's how the whole meridian system was even 
sort of discovered was that spinning your your energy through certain channels in your body would cause certain movements to just naturally happen along with your breath. I don't know. That's just more theory, but yeah, no, that's, that stuff's super no, you real. Could, you could kill somebody if you wanted to. Like if you were sufficiently energized, I I almost killed a person with with my mind. <laughs> like no joke. There was a okay. very there was a very sacred ceremony I was in. I'm not going to say what that ceremony was because there it was a private affair. But this this person kept interjecting into it, and I had warned him before the ceremony. I said, if you pull any of your shit, I'm shutting you down. So I forewarned him. I had I had authority in that space. You had noticed him. Yeah, because it was my ceremony and it was for me and my family. And he was wanting to interject his BS in it. And I fucking gave the dude an annual, like I gave him a heart attack. Because I could feel him in my consciousness because our body is just one aspect of our local self. But I could feel this penetrating energy and I just literally shielded it. And then I just like, it was like, I was Darth Vader. I was just collapsing his field. I was literally just crushing his field. And he ended up leaving with his wife. And I got an email from him two weeks after the fact saying, I have never felt like I was going to die before in a situation like that. And like he, he, his, like he had a, a, a decently high level of consciousness. Like he knew I, I was totally shutting him down. And that's the thing is, if you have sufficient determination and sufficient focus, because what I actually did was I bifurcated my consciousness so that part of me could be completely in the ceremony. The other aspect of my consciousness was just crushing him. <laughs> And whole I other, had whole other definition of crushing there. I had no, and I had zero, I had zero qualms about it. Yeah, yeah. You're probably uh, in the in the total stillness, right? Total stillness. In in other words, you had you you know you're you were completely calm, and where he like my theory is on this kind of stuff is that not that he opted in for it, but if he had the the proper determination, desire, and and feelings that were appropriate, he could have blocked it. But obviously, he wasn't coming from that place where you were. So it's not like it's kung fu, like like you were saying earlier, Gabe. Right? Like if he was in the right place, in the right mind, in the right, you know, and and in the right of the law, he could have deflected that. But clearly, he wasn't. Yeah, there's techniques I, for this too, like uh, psychic jamming. <laughs> what yeah. you're talking about is sort of like psychic jamming, but it's more like psychic smothering what you were doing but say you're you know if you ever want to try this you're you're with a group of people and there's one person who keeps stealing the talking stick and won't stop talking about themselves or they're kind of annoying or something like that you can innocently play this game where while they're speaking and while they have the attention you just fo like act like you know normal outwardly but you can project at them repeating in your mind like a dumb song or something where like in your mind you're making this song that you're just playing on repeat so loud and you're and you're making you're putting it in their mind 
<laughs> and it's just something funny to do. Um, it's, I don't, I think it's harmless, but allegedly this, you know, will work even on abductions. The fairies or the, the grays come after you. If you do psychic jamming, it can disrupt the process. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, people inadvertently do that whenever they start like repeating the Lord's prayer or saying, Oh Jesus, Oh Jesus, Oh Jesus. When the, you know, the boogeyman's coming to get him. So what you're describing though, like this is, this is very real. There's a, just a factor of truth of nature that whatever the, the more energized and coherent mind is overrides the other minds in the space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Cause I, I did that in sports, like being in a stadium with a hundred thousand people feeling their energy. And I literally was like an assassin. I was like, Oh really? Like I remember the first time I understood what I could do from a consciousness perspective, I was 17 years old. We had never beat this crosstown rival. They always put like, you know, 15 guys, division one. And we were just like this middling pack high school. And I was just so fucking tired of losing to Dillard high school. And I'm just a little fucking white boy kicker. Like what, what say do I have in a game? I crushed that team with my mind. I had, I had three of the longest field goals of the year that year. I had an onside kick, a fake field goal for a touchdown. Like, and literally out of all the people that they interviewed after the game, we, we won and then we ended up beating them for like the next 10 years straight. They interviewed me, the little kicker. And it was just because I was so determined. There was like nothing that was going to allow them to win in my mind. There was nothing, zero, nothing. There was, I, I didn't care what happened in the game. We were going to fucking win that game. And like, it takes that level of determination in certain aspects. But if you have determination, dude, fortune favors the bold. Fortune favors the, that energetic pattern of just being like, I fucking put the time in. I have the focus. This is what's happening. Well, most people are operating on the, this is like, I think an aspect of Hollywood or whatever, but most people are living life. Like it's a movie they're watching, right? As opposed to a story they're writing. And whenever you project the intention with like 100% full belief and conviction, Things happen, you know, you become the new pole of that particular sphere of whatever, like, you know, whatever the whatever the boundaries are of what you're currently aware of, whether it's the size of a stadium or just a small room, you become the pole, you become the center point, the spine of that particular body, regardless of how much is in it. If you are and, you know, sometimes there maybe could be uh, <laughs> I've noticed this back to like my music festival days, but I would. <laughs> I would get in like psychic wars with dark wizards in a crowd where, you know, they're trying to be the center pole and they're trying to attract all the energy to them. And I'm trying to be the center pole and I'm succeeding in circulating all the energy around so that it's healthy, so that it's in flow. Whereas, you know, the others are like doing a black hole thing versus I'm doing like the vortex. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can command that with your desire and your presence in a place like coming in all of a sudden like a, a brightness comes in from one individual just because they're crushing it so hard in their life. And they, they bring that with them. And the reason why they're crushing so hard in their life is because they understand how all this works. Vibration, resonance, 
right? And all that, and all the harmony that you can emit from that. So, you know, you see that with certain individuals, they have this charisma about them, right? This bio charisma, Topher. Uh, and I like to admit that as much as I can. It's like, uh, we're all batteries, right? And we can bring in that, that power and that electricity into us. And um, sort of like the electroculture rod, as you're saying, Chance, like the rod, you know, uh, all of the different frequencies, we shape those, we transmute those. And then I think a lot of going back to like the doers in the bodies, as you're saying, they are watching the movies. A lot of those drunk people in the stands, I think makes life easier for us to just sort of control the, the reality matrix at that place in that time. And then in that temporal place in that marker there, you know, for my life, for instance, like there's all these crazy synchronicities that are happening that are leading to successes. And I feel like I'm in my own little movie sometimes. And I know we're all connected and I feel bad for people that don't have those experiences. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that's a bummer, man. Like for me, it's, I, it's wild every day. Something like that happens to me. And I think a lot of people don't get to experience that because like you're saying, chance, they're just um, letting the causal forces and the, you know, the, the soup of reality, uh, they're just like a pee in it where we're the actual ladle stirring it. So, um, literally yeah. be the ladle. Yeah, be the ladle <laughs> with the gravy, bro. That's, that's that's shirt. so true. It's got to be a bear, bear shirt, dude. Be the ladle. Can, can, can I, can I actually like draw this back to, to Gabriel, your symbology around? Do you have to even ask? specifically this last eclipse, this annular eclipse, because I've seen that you've been doing the, I, I don't, I have to say you're very prolific on telegram, but you've been having this one constellation highlighted within a lot of the, the animations that you've been putting. I, I believe you're speaking of uh, Altair. Altair. Okay. So yeah. can you, can you give, cause this, I don't know what you guys experienced the week up to the eclipse, but the week up to the eclipse. A lot of tension. Yeah, nobody, every, like every single person I spoke Fatigue to. Fatigue and tension, yeah. In, in, their, in their particular circle, everything was copacetic, but everybody was processing tension. Like without a doubt, they couldn't sleep. There was just weird shit like in the psychic space. The... Mm. The the annular eclipse happens. The the ring, <laughs> you know, the eye, um, yes. and then it was like, okay, the tension isn't there anymore. That was just my. I'm not projecting that onto you guys. I'm just yeah. saying that that's what I experienced. So I I really wanted to know from your perspective, mm -hmm. what was the symbology of like the 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 spellcraft coming into coming into the the full annular eclipse and then what did you experience uh, uploads upon uploads uh two like so when i found the ara altair constellation in its uh in its exact geometric patterning in the stars so many things came to me at once uh it, so many things more than I can actually keep up with on my channel. Uh, can I go really quick just for the people, kids in the back? Yeah. The altar, the Ara constellation, it's also known as the altar. It has a lot of, it's basically like a, an offering altar in astrotheology. So, 
you know, when uh, Noah gets off the ark and he makes the burnt sacrifice or the altar that Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac on or in Greek mythology where the gods made their offerings to form an alliance to defeat the Titans. Anytime you hear mythology where there's some kind of offering, it's the it's telling you that you're somewhere in the vicinity of the Ara constellation where the story that you're hearing about the, uh, the characters involved are part of that stellar tableau where you could see them in the night sky going alongside with altar. Right. And, uh, and also changing your mind, changing your attitude, changing your mode, doing something you didn't expect uh, and mind altering substances. All of these things, these points of change where the plot turns on a dime from, from, a, from a single event, from a, usually a sacrifice or something is given in, for something to be received. Um, so I'll just kind of try to stay as chronological as I can. I, the Buotes constellation is the great void. I have been seeing that it is hidden out in the heptad. It's a mirror. There are two Boote's voids in the heptad of the Enneagram, which makes perfect sense because uh, in Greek uh, uh, mysticism, to be inspired, you have to get out of your own way. You have to make a vacancy of your own self-expectation so that you can learn, so you can take in knowledge and be inspired by what you learn. And so it actually makes sense for that, uh, that dynamic uh, changes of the heptad of the Enneagram to actually be in the shape of Buote's void, uh, kind of mirroring itself. It's as though it's looking at itself across the circle. And that was enough. That I was like, this is nifty. There's a there's actually the the spirit of inspiration is in the the dynamics of the Enneagram. But then I found out that there is also the Ara Altair shape. It's doing the same thing where it's mirroring itself and it's, um, and it's this kind of strange, uh, angle, uh, and it's perfect. At first I was using the constellation upside down where it was a real close fit where I was like, Oh, this is really close to the Ara Altair constellation, which but then I flipped it upside down. I used the other side of the constellation, and it was a perfect fit. And, and so then I go, and guys, I look at um, 9-11, the steel beam that is melted at a, at a perfect angle is the exact shape of the Ara Altair constellation. And how, how many ways does that fit? Let me tell you. We were all altered. Mm-hmm. It changed history. And it was an offering, a burnt offering. Sacrifices and loose change. Loose change was the name of the documentary that brought yeah. everybody into this, this outrageous realization of a whole new age, a whole new beginning, a turning of, in the beginning of our culture that we are all partaking of right now. Slick, do you have the ability to pop in headphones? I've been meaning to tell you, your mic's a little poppy. And uh, we're all hearing you. We're all happy to hear what you have to say, even with a little bit of crackle. But, you know, if I'm being a good host and do my due diligence, I should have you plug in. I know, dude, we got to have a tech review day like tomorrow. Can we get that going? 
Yeah, buddy, please. Okay, let me get going, guys. I got fam calling, but I'll say I was uh, I was um, at the eclipse event at this farm, and we were pretty like I know we were pretty central under it, so we had a full ring experience, and uh, definitely uh, Chance and I were briefly talking about this earlier today, and I definitely didn't have the glasses on for a bit, and uh, it was really interesting because I. You know, there was an energetic feeling around it for sure. There was a calming feeling, uh, and it felt like I was in a Terrence Malick film. <laughs> like, <laughs> the thin red line. Yeah, like I, like in the chasing the sun. You know, it was like this total just magic hour. But when you looked at when it was like the prime, you know, ring, and I was looking without the glasses. It was interesting. I couldn't see. All I could see was the sun still. I couldn't see any of anything blocking it. It was just, it was a little bit lighter, but, um, uh, and then I had a couple people that had ex- different experience. Everybody had a different relational experience to it. Some people saw, um, you know, like a beam come down towards them. So everybody had a qualitatively, subjectively different experience. And I, I was there like at a festival, like at a conference thing. Um, very sober. It was very Texas. There was a dude literally playing John singing live Johnny Cash ring of fire. Um, very Texas. Um, <laughs> but um, my experience, my just personal, you know, subjective experience was um, definitely like there's definitely felt cause I was, you know, the 2017 one chance I was there up in Oregon. I wasn't at the symbiosis gathering. I don't know if that's where you were at when you had, you're, okay. No, it was here in Missouri, actually. Oh, okay, because you we did a, there a festival stuff. here. Yeah, yeah. Because um, we well, had totality he... in Salem, Missouri. There's this weird thing okay. that happened with that eclipse, where like multiple the places that had the view of totality also had a town called Salem in the line of totality. Mm-hmm. Wow. Don't know what that was about. That was in 2017. That was a weird, weird day. I yeah, saw, that was a weird one. I saw one, like I was I saw orbs come out of the ground. You know, it, yeah. it was all kinds of shit happened that day. That was a weird one for me too. As we were like ninety eight percent totality here in Oregon, um, and there was a lot of weird phenomenon. This one I didn't have that. I had more of a peaceful sort of joyous feeling, and like everything's all good. And that was kind of what the the theme of the rest of the event was. Everything's going to be all good. Um, but it was interesting as some people said they saw the star of David and um, the uh, crescent of like the Islamic um, crescent together. So um, and then a friend of mine posted that uh, picture on it's on my Instagram or it was on my story. Someone actually captured that. So um, the fractality, you know, the sort of. Um, uh, yeah, projection, right? As we talk about in astrology, projecting out and it projecting back, there was definitely a lot of interactive projection, projector, projector men stuff going on. Of course, we're talking about human design at this event too. So there was a mm-hmm. bunch of projectors. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> um, um, but I am a manifesting generator, so I did. MG in the house. Yeah, MGs. Of course, you're pure MG, egoic right? manifester. Uh, nice. What? And Gabe is just 100% undefined over there. He's an anomalist. He's anomalous, of course. Gabe's the reflector. He's the reflector of the group. But anyways, um, we will be going back to that same place on April because there's another one in April that's, I guess, that's the full totality there. 
uh, under the farm um, where we're going back. So I don't know if that's common where you have like almost totality and then same place again, totality again the next year. I don't know what's going on here, but um, I'm enjoying the ride. I love you guys. You guys are awesome. I wish I could do this every week. Um, Kids are calling me right now. So I got a jam. Well, man, you're always welcome to jump in. It was really cool to hear that you wanted to say hi and I'm glad you actually were along for like the whole ride. You're always welcome around here. That goes for you, Topher. And of course you, Gabriel, you know that. Of course. I'm looking yeah, for you still got you know, whatever uh, your uh, whatever your watch it deal tonight. is. It's all not working. <laughs> so maybe we'll just go back to the first thing with the crackle. So, yeah, Mike, um, Alpha Vedic is where you can catch DJ Mike Winter. You guys all out there probably know that. I'll awesome. be in uh, I'll be in Orlando uh, outside of Orlando at Jim Gale's farm next month at another event. I'll be, I've been like starting to do more of these DJ th- uh, sessions out at these cool events. I'm really loving it. So I'll be playing at Jim Gale's farm, uh, 11, 11, and it goes from 11 till 11. So I'll be going on at 11 and I'll be playing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be playing till 12, 11. I don't know. Maybe I'll play to one 11. I don't know. It's like a, uh, I guess I'm doing the after party. He's building like this, you know, uh, Jim Chance, you've had him on. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like the most fucking optimistic sundog I've ever had the pleasure to interview. I love that guy. You were actually supposed to bunk with him at Music and Sky, remember, uh, last year? He he couldn't, like, get out of Texas. Oh, I fully remember that. Yeah, I wound up getting a whole glamping super tent, like, TP to myself. It was awesome. Although... You know, if I had to camp with somebody I'd never met in person before, Jim Gale would probably be like the top of the list of somebody that you could assume would be a good time. Yeah, he would just be so positive the whole time, man. Like, hey, let's go do this now. Let's go back to the tent and check it out. Man, Music and Sky was so awesome. I was my the people camping directly around me were Eileen and Alec Zach. Eileen McCusick and Alec Zach. You can't beat that. And we had some good chats. Well, if so, you guys like, can make it out to Orlando, because I'm loving meeting people in person, Eileen's going to probably be there now. She's going. Alex X talking. Andrew Kaufman's going to be there. Uh, and sounds like Kelly Brogan's going just to hang out, too. So I don't know how far of a drive that is for you guys. But if you just can cruise out for 11-11, um, I'd be right to see you guys. So, uh, Mike, I got an 11-11 sync for you. Okay. 11-11 is a mirror a K. A mirror of K. A mirror of K is eleven eleven. God bless a mirror K. Ah, I was just thinking of my old rave days with mirrors of K, and I was like, "Where are you taking me?" <laughs> <laughs> this went over my head. Dave, I was right over my head. America, I got it. I God got bless it. America. You got the stripes, the white, the white bands, the stripes. Well, and that's what this event's about. It's like a Freedom America event. So there you go, bro. Okay, man. Love you guys. I'll see you next time. Cheers. See you, Mike. Yeah, man. Let's do it again sooner than later. Awesome. Yeah, man. Wow. So the the altar, the Ara Altair is the furnace. It's the hearth. It's extremely south. It's on the perimeter of um, of Signa Octantis, the you know the South Pole zone. And there's a keeper of the hearth right there. 
is the Indus constellation, is the character who is in charge of keeping that fire going. Yes, and it, yep. And now it has many depictions, uh, in many, uh, it come, it has many shapes and forms that it takes. Sometimes it is a, a three pronged, uh, uh, just a, a, like a burner. Sometimes it has three feet. Sometimes it's a block like this. Um, and the keeper of this fire is the Indus constellation generally in most, most, uh, astronomical expressions, but I find that character to be very anomalous. Uh, this keeper of the hearth in Greek mythology, I think we're seeing both Hestia and also I think we're seeing Tiresias and Tiresias is the fella who uh, he's walking along. He sees two snakes mating. He uses his staff to kill the female serpent and he is metamorphosed into a woman for seven years. And he lives as a nymphomaniac for seven years. He's like, I'm going to get down while I got it. And he even has a child while he's a woman. And then he sees two snakes on the trail again. And this time he's like, I'm not going to use my staff. I'm going to stomp on him. And he stomps on the male serpent. And then he's metamorphosed back into a man again. And then he uh, gets called in. To, uh, to be the arbiter or the mediator between Zeus and Hera. They're having an argument as to who enjoys uh, intercourse more. Is it men or women? And, and you see Endus here between the peacock and the swan, like between Zeus and Hera, essentially. Very, very nice. Very nice. Yes. In, in his answer, now here, here's the thing. They Sometimes you'll, in, again, all these stories have different variations, and it's good to collect all the variations. But uh, some will say that Zeus intimidated him. So uh, Zeus wanted, Zeus's case was that women enjoy sex more. And Hera's case was that men enjoy sex more. And this was exemplified in uh, Woody Allen. He had a a film where the shrink asks the man uh, during a a therapy session, uh, uh, how often do you guys have sex? And Woody Allen's character, he's like, Oh man, like hardly ever, you know, maybe three times a week. And then the, the next scene, it's just the shrink and the woman and the shrink is asking the same question. How how often do you guys have sex? And she's like, all the damn time, like three times a week. <laughs> and so, and so this, that was a reiteration of this mythology. And uh, so Tiresias, he takes Zeus's side because Zeus is scarier. But I like the version of the story where he uh, he says that women enjoy it. If sex is ten parts of pleasure, women enjoy nine parts of it, and women and men only enjoy one part of the of the rational proportion of sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. But I like that answer, and that's what they're taking when they clip the tip. They're taking right? that one that last one part. That's the that isn't that a thing? And they say. If a men were not circumcised, we have 10 times more pleasure in an orgasm. Ah, so wow. It's consistent. It's completely consistent. So now we're all the way back to clipping, clipping right? tips. Right. <laughs> but but I, like, I like to point out that he was born into a woman's body and became a nymphomaniac. So, of course, he, was pro- he had a, a proclivity to enjoy it more in his female form. 
but um, so th- uh, that is Tiresias. Now, when he uh, so Hera gets pissed because he took Zeus's side, and Hera strikes him blind. And then after he gets struck blind, Zeus goes behind her back and he's like, yo, bro, that was kind of fucked up. But thanks for looking out for the fellas. Let me give you a little something, a little comeuppance. And he gives him uh, the blessing of the ability to prophesize. So he becomes the blind seer, Tiresias. And then even when he goes down to Hades, Hades is like, man, you've been through some shit. I'm going to I'm going to sustain you as you are. I'm going to keep your character whole. And down here, even in Hades, you're going to perform as a prophet. So he's a prolific character, and he is seated throughout Greek mythology. He he pops in and out. He's a repeat character. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so that's just some of the things I've been picking up on. But it's fascinating, all this context of this hearth, this altar, uh, coming upon me and bringing so much realization as we get closer and closer to this the sacred eclipse this time of year. Um, You know, one thing that I want to add to that, Gabe, is how part of what I think has been done with mythology to a large degree is pro and it's probably mostly misunderstanding. But one thing that we know about the gods or God and the goddess is that they have many epithets, many, many descriptive titles, essentially. And there's plenty of examples where the mythologists, the linguists, they've caught themselves or they've caught past, you know, predecessors of their field, mistaking an epithet for a name and then classifying a tale as an independent, separate character based on a name. So I just want to offer out there that this Tiresias character, this, you know, (laughs) <laughs> mercurial fluid uh, switching from one side to the other. I think this is a prototype of like, you know, all of your Hermes, Jesus, Savior, etc. Because when you break down the name, you have Tyre, which is also the Phoenician capital that it would be pronounced Sir by the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians are who gave the Greeks their letters. And allegedly a lot of the Greek mythology is ripped off of like, Sankaniathon or Sanchaniathon, however you call that, the uh, the Phoenician scripture. And then the other part of the name is, so it's Sir or Tyre, Isi, and then us. And then the us is just like a termination, like a Latinized termination. So you have in that name, Isi is, or Iso, Isi, Iser, Aesir. These are all like that phonetic of ISO, ISE, ISI, etc. is the name referring to the savior character like Isa is the Arabic name for Jesus Christ, for example. So you have in that name, Tiresias, it's Lord savior, basically. (laughs) And I think that it may be just an early story, like one of the many stories about the mercurial, you know, son of God figure, because who is he and who is he petitioning to is the, the father and the mother. So like in that story, Zeus, Hera and Tiresias, you have the mother, um, father, child, Trinity going on. But because of like either misunderstandings or intentional obfuscation going on with mythology, we don't really recognize the characters for who they are. And then like later, you know, poets maybe also misunderstanding the epithet as a name. 
then attribute that character to some other story that they think that he would fit in. And over time, the whole system just sort of expands and expands and expands until some kind of big uh, revolutionary event contracts the mythos back down to like, okay, it's Jesus, Jesus, God, and the Holy Ghost, right? And I think this is something that happens is like the mythology expands and expands over time. And then you have to do a reboot and trim it all back down. You know, like comic books are a great example of this. I really want to talk to like Christopher Knowles about this idea. Uh, hopefully soon. Cause he just put out a new book. I'm waiting to get it. So yeah, that's what I wanted to add to your take. Yeah. And uh, on that, the tire that's also that city was known for that purple uh, for the dyes. But that is part of why uh, I think that that is the Indus. Indus has the indigo, again, with Uh, this sacred purple of the priest class. Yeah. Yeah, so so I've seen, I found this artifact, and and now I'm filling it in. I'm finding it in all kinds of places. but one, my favorite place that it, that it dawned on me is the scene in uh, A Princess Bride where they're, where they're sword fighting. And he's like, well, why are you smiling? Because I know something you do not know. What is that? Well, I'm not left-handed. Dun, dun, dun. And he alters. He switches in the tide shifts of the battle. And the other guy is on the, on the heels. And he starts pushing him back. And he's literally pushing him back on, a, on the stone wall of the tower. And the stone falls off the off the cliff. Well, the posture that they're in when he returns the same phrase and he says, uh, well, why are you smiling? Why well, know something you do not know? What could that be? He says the exact same thing. He says, well, in that moment when he's pushing them backwards, their body language is perfectly in the shape of the constellation. And so what I'm getting at is they are seeding the anatomically impeccable shapes and formats in the moments when we get goosebumps, when we attach to the music and then dun dun dun, he's, I'm not left-handed, and he alters. Mm-hmm. They're literally harvesting our goosebumps, and we're attaching to the body language and the shape of the scene. And then later on in the same movie, we all know this one by heart so, so well. It's at the very end when uh, Undigo, Indigo, ah, neat. When he gets his revenge, the moment he gets his revenge, he's in a room full of altars. It's it's actually the very first time when he gets stabbed in the belly by the by the Dirk. He hits him with the Dirk when he comes into that room, and Undigo gets stabbed in the gut. He falls to the corner. When he's in the corner, there's a perfect shadow of one of the tables that is in the shape of the Indus constellation. And then the, uh, <laughs> the six fingered man stabs him in one shoulder and then he stabs him in the other shoulder. And then there's an alteration. He goes through a shift in the tides change and he fights back. And you killed my father prepared to die. My name is Indigo Montoya. You and he says it like six times they're dancing around a room that is full of altars. And on those altars are even fruit basket offerings. There's a and his trauma, pool. like when he starts repeating, the, he gets in the loop, you know, his trauma alter ego, the revenge alter ego is activated. Yes. You know, there's like That's the cool. whole alter, alter slash alter personality thing going on there, too. Dude, yeah. 
I wish you lived close to me so we could just like watch movies and crush gravy in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish that. Dude, it, it's really amazing. And then, you know, I love these, I love these experiences and now I have way more context to it. But what gets me is that all of that is, is harnessed. It builds up. And then when we see that shape on the 9-11, the structure of 9-11, it gets, it's getting harnessed and we become vengeful and it fucking worked. It worked. They launched an entire war using that shape. And what's just, amazing you know what about I'm that excited was- for Gabe. I want to just say everybody who's maybe new to the channel, go check out slick dissident on YouTube. He's going to be your top artist. From now on, he's going to be your go-to autist. He's going to, you're going to see the world so differently if you get into Gabe's mental tunnel and, you know, start trying to make sense of the, 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 the red string attaching the pictures on the bulletin board. <laughs> he's got, he, I love he, you, man. He's got a touch of the tism. No, he's got like the, he's got a lot. <laughs> the, the good kind of tism though. The good tism. Um, it's interesting with that shape too, because you're talking about the part of that beam that disintegrated, like it ends up disintegrating, correct? The, the constellation that you're talking about. Yes. So that, that disintegrates, like we all see the, the photo of it in a still, but as you watch that video over the next nine minutes, it disintegrates. And isn't that sigil magic? Like when you actually have the sigil and then you burn it. And then when you burn it, that's when the magic actually hits. That's when it actually is invoked. That's the casting. You got it. Yeah, man. It's really fascinating. That's Uh, awesome. It's also, uh, so it's A-R-A. Okay. And I'll just, I'll, I'll weave a little more. It's A-R-A is a nickname for it. That's the abbreviation. Well, Sure enough, every starting with A and the word America, every third letter is A R A. Now you take the shape of the constellation, you turn it on its side, and you superimpose it onto the shape of North America. Our entire country is the Ara constellation. Okay, that's interesting. Now take the Buotes constellation and put it onto South America. It's the fucking same shape as South America. And now, and the whole thing, if you guys come over, check out what I've done in the most recent couple episodes. It's getting really fun. I'm being very playful. Um, But this is North America, South America, N-A-S-A. NASA is North and South America. These shapes have unveiled themselves out of the Crowley deck fool card. And I'm going to leave everybody hanging because there's an alligator at the bottom with a very significant reveal on my most recent installation. Y'all should come get some cash apps below. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm so glad we can get you shilling for, for support now. Like, You've done so much for so many of our channels, man. Appreciate it. Uh, so send that guy money. Want to say thanks to some super chatters on this channel. Jeffrey for the 33. Thank you, buddy. 
Uh, and then Jeffrey again with nine. So, oh, that's Cucumber. Right on. <laughs> Cucumber. It's good to see you at the festival as well. Mormon Rishi always likes to double up the super chats. I love it. Thanks, man. And over on the Rockfin side, we had uh, Braden and Kylie and Jason. So thanks all you guys. Great to feel the love, feel the support. Uh, and I got a, I got an analog super chat today. <laughs> so it came in this card. Check out this cool card. You know, it's like, I should make myself big to show this card because mm-hmm. it's really cool. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah, right. It's an awesome piece of art. Like I would put this in a frame on the wall or like, I don't know, color with colored pencils. Uh, so it's from Stacy. You know, she just wanted to it says wanted to let you know how much I appreciate you and how much value your podcast has. You're truly a breath of fresh air. Really enjoy you and wanted to thank you for all you do. So, Stacy, thank you for that. Uh, like it was a significant donation, like. May, I think maybe the most anybody has ever given me just as a gift. So <laughs> thank you so much. It's uh, it's heartwarming. Me and my lovely bride were just blown away to see that support. Appreciate it so much. And uh, yeah, so everyone out there making that happen for me. Let me live the life of my dreams. Do this as a job. I couldn't be more grateful. Now, there is a comment, though, from Dylan earlier that I wanted to throw your way, Topher. Okay. He said, Topher has some gravy about being alien in regions. Is it possible the earth made us and that's what our cultures and phenotypes correspond to? And I just want to add a little bit on top of that is that if you gave me some time and I could put together like a PowerPoint and get some (laughs) examples from scriptures and mythology and religious traditions, there's a good case to be made that the idea of the demiurge or the creator or the maker is talking about the earth that they're like that the earth is the demiurge. So mm-hmm. with that being said, there's something up with phenotypes in the world where uh, most people operate on the assumption that if your ancestors migrate to a certain climate or region, then over time their skin color starts to change and their attributes start to change. There is zero evidence for that ever happening. You know, like people's phenotype is seemingly 100% dependent on their ancestry, but not on their region. So what is up with that? I don't know. Um, But maybe it has to do with the earth making us and making us in a certain spot. And we emerge out of the soil, dust to dust, all that. What do you think, Tover? That's a great question. Um, I think we're... I think we are actually designed by a creator. I really feel like that there is a higher intelligence that makes us and we're not equal and we serve different functions. Um, And by not being equal, that doesn't mean that we don't deserve the same amount of humanity. It just means that we are extremely different. We're extremely different. And for as much as we pretend to know what another person is experiencing, we're just pretending <laughs> we, we really don't know. And we can look at body types and I've touched a lot of bodies professionally and man, there's like, there's so much differentiation between, between beings. What actually causes that? I mean, I've seen in my own life 
you know, I've seen my phenotype. I've seen my dosha, however you want to say it. I've seen it change depending on um, what I'm eating, what my physical practices are, who I'm, who I'm betting with, all these different things. Like, I don't think, I think we come here to learn boundaries. And at the same time, there really isn't a boundary between us and our environment. And we do express differently depending where we're at. And I mean, whether or not that's carried along to uh, like from a genetic perspective, whatever that means, I have no idea. Um, I think mind is first with all of this. Consciousness is first. And I've been around enough mothers and young, young, um, I, I shouldn't say it that way. I've been around enough mothers and families where they did the Viking thing and saw their child before they had them and really saw them the way they wanted that child to be. And wouldn't you know it, the child ended up that way. <laughs> which is very wild. And so what is that? Like, you know, there's, there, there's, at that point is the parent just being a conduit for the greater creator. That sounds like, that sounds like a possibility. So I'd have to mull on that a little bit because I do really see massive differences and, um, and I have seen different expressions of the same body in different areas. So I think there is actually a little bit of of uh, truth to set and setting. Set and setting does does have a lot to do with what our expression is. It's not saying that like, hey, if I go to Japan, I'm going to start to, you know, get, you know, small eyes and you know, no hair on my body, <laughs> but whatever is latent within my, within my system that resonates with that particular cultural setting that will start to sh- come forth. Um, Cause we're all working off of exposure, all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, <laughs> yeah. what we're, what, what we're exposed to determines a lot of how we express. You know, uh, I got a little to add on that. Uh, I'm really, uh, I'm really enjoying the Iliad right now, and uh, oh, and the Odyssey. I'm actually onto the Odyssey, and Odysseus, the main character, he's coming out of this this horrible war, and he's uh, he believes that the gods made it worse. And he's actually in the beginning of the Odyssey. He is—he's um, actually an atheist. He's—he's he's disavowing all these gods and these these old superstitious behaviors. But he's also uh, far removed from his from his home base. And the further he goes on his adventure, the more uh, of an atheist he becomes, uh, not relying on the gods, not calling upon them, and in fact being like very. Uh, uh, defiant of them um in the uh, polythemus the cyclops who ends up trapping him he tries to appeal to feel out how polythemus is about gods and he's like uh you know hey we're we're your guests here you know don't you think that maybe we should talk about zeus and sit down and commune and in the spirit of zeus and polythemus is like yeah she's going to talk about gods here let me eat some of your buddies and chomp chomp he eats two of his friends 
Well, Polythemus, it turns out, is subservient to Neptune. He's a descendant of Neptune's bloodline. Uh, and, you, and so Odysseus goes on all these adventures. And it's not until he returns, starts to the turnaround, where he decides to come back home. And he has deep self-reflection. Odysseus, guys, this is neat. He's the first person ever to actually talk about himself in uh, in narrate to the reader th- uh, through his own words. All the other epics are told like third hand from third person perspective. He's the first person to actually be like, and then I did this and I did. He's like reflecting on himself for the first time. Let me give you one little slice, though, yeah. is uh, the Etruscan. Odysseus, uh-huh. it goes back even to like a pre-Greek origin, allegedly. Uh-huh. There's artifacts. And the way that the uh, the name is in the Etruscan is basically like O-D-U-Z-E or O-S-E. So anyway, you know how vowels are interchangeable in philology. Yeah. So you have odd, like Odin, <laughs> God, mm-hmm. right? And then you have the ISO, ISO. Like nice. God, the God savior again. It's like in once you have those little keys to the 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 lock picking with philology, you're like, oh, I'm seeing the same epithet in Odysseus as right. in Tiresias. He's uh, he and also he owes uh, odes uh, of Deus, the odes as in like sing praises of the gods, ode Deus. Hmm. Um, but it's not until he self-reflects and decides, I got to get back to my roots. And he starts to change his ways and he starts to uh, attempt to get home. That's when Athena can actually start to get through to him again. And he starts to become more receptive. So there's something about being away from home, having no uh, none of the motherland with you, and even being uh, not attached to it, being detached, and then changing your mind and being like, I got to get back to my roots and all of a sudden, he can hear some of those uh, those domestic spirits again, his favorite one, Athena in particular. I would even say that building a, a shrine, if you are in a strange land, how can we sing king of a song in a strange land? You build the temple, you make an altar, you bring the, those artifacts from home into your space. And you can have ceremony to bring these spirits back to into your life again. And that's actually what happens to him. And now he's in the good graces of Athena. He's like, why weren't you helping me with Polythemus? And she's like, eh, you were in Neptune's territory, buddy. That's out of my jurisdiction. So I do think there is something about the spirits and the certain gods and certain traditions being enriched and embedded into certain territories of the earth. And the closer you get back to your place center, the more, uh, the more true to the roots you become and the more graced you are by those, you know, elders. That, that hits for me too. Guys, I'm ready to wind it down. What do you think? I think Sounds we're good. good. This has been really fun. Uh, Tover, thanks for, you know, helping me get the, <laughs> the, the Owen thing lined up for today. That was great. My pleasure. Yeah, it just uh, felt like the right moment. It turned out it was. And I'm happy that especially, uh, you know, some people in the audience might have got exposed to the. You have permission to have fun. You have permission to <laughs> to laugh at stupid stuff like 
that's the bane of the entire like truther community is everything so serious. They're doing it to us. We're all screwed, blah, blah, blah. And one thing we didn't even really get into uh, that is part of what makes people love Owen and come back to him is the the solutions side of what he does, where he talks about his homesteading. He's honest about it. He's not like, you know, claiming anything that isn't true. It's hard. It's gritty. Right. But I love that. And uh, it was cool to see Mike. Cool to see both of you guys uh, getting a lot of bookings right now for biofield tuning if that's something people are interested in doing please get in touch and uh, we'll do that chance at interversepodcast.com interversepodcast.com slash sound dash healing i think we're starting to fill up in november's running out of spots so let's make it happen if you want to do it let's do it had some great results uh logan if you're in the chat i think i'm gonna read logan's uh recent tuning uh, what do you call it review <laughs> testimonial it's not too long he says a tuning with chance is a unique and invaluable experience no matter how fancy your vehicle is it will inevitably need a tune-up it could be a bumpy road years of neglect or a head-on collision whatever you th- whatever threw your vehicle out of alignment can be buffed out via a symphony of cymatic investigation <laughs> man that's such a poetic way to describe it years ago i would have found myself scoffing at the idea of tuning forks having the ability to dig deep into one's personal dossier of life multiple sessions with chance have proven to be impactful on a level that is hard to put into a concise package a thousand waves reshape a beach be prepared for a thousand waves to reshape, reshape yours, man. That's really cool. I appreciate that so much. Uh, really, really kind and uh, well described, like super poetic metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and his forks show up tomorrow. Right on, dude. And I had an awesome report from a client recently, and this was somebody who their boyfriend got them a tuning. So they're not a listener. They didn't know really about me or you know, that belief factor maybe wasn't there. But she had had recently um, had a complication with a pregnancy that caught, like made her make the decision to abort the pregnancy. And so there's a, all kinds of stuff around that. Right. That would be tough. And part of the reason she was coming for the tuning was to hopefully be able to get her cycle back, because in the many months since she had had to terminate that pregnancy, she wasn't having her cycle. So I just got the email from her that three days after our tuning, it came back. (laughs) There's like this magic thing about tuning where whatever the physiological issue is, it often is resolved like on the dot three days after the forking. So just wanted to remind everyone out there that that's an option. We don't have to stay stuck in our trauma. The way that trauma is actually healed is not by knowing that it happened or what happened or, you know, feeling feelings about it, but it's actually really about getting to the root of how did that experience shape the way I see the world and myself and create belief systems that alter my behavior. And once you get behind that and you realize you have free will about something that the conditioning or trauma had made you believe was just how you are or just how life is, then you win. That's the healing of the trauma, in my opinion. So it was good stuff. Yeah. Topher, what's new over at HQ? 
Oh, just doing tons of sessions now. I really feel like everything is taken off. Took me a little while to get my footing back in the States, but everything's zooming now. And uh, selling lots of biochar, selling lots of rocket retorts, doing lots of massage work. You know, really, really, I'm actually going to be teaching a, a new uh, student with body work, with the polarity therapy, which is really exciting because I love teaching. And yeah, that's <laughs> my days are full. It's a, you know, dealing with uh, the, it's a good full, like it's like a very good flow, wonderful um, reciprocity within, within the community. So it's, it's been great. Awesome, man. I, if I, you know, was in a different phase of my life, I would be interested in picking up that skill set. But as it is now, I'm actually really grateful. I have the one that I have because it can be done remotely. Can't exactly massage remotely, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, super valuable of uh, whoever that, whoever that apprentice is, they've chosen wisely and uh, yeah. you know, make sure you give them a good beating or two. Yes. Yes. It's a she and I oh, will all the more reason. Yeah. Yeah. She's ready to go. All right, Gabe, you got anything to leave the people with? Slick Dissident on YouTube. Yep. Uh, you know, tomorrow I'm meeting up with those, uh, those rogue mid- midwives you linked me with. Uh, and I believe her name, oh, I don't want to say it wrong, but it's a, it's a group of midwives and we're talking placenta. So yeah. uh, when that comes out, I'll, I'll send the links out if it goes, uh, if it's broadcasted. Uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to have a good time talking about the midwife crisis. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Nice. Uh, yeah. You're like, there will be a day someday in the future where like the world will acknowledge the role that you had to play in everybody's placenta casserole craze taking off. <laughs> uh, and any, any new bears around that just showed up and haven't really tuned into the channel and you're like, this is interesting. I like the vibe, but what the hell are they talking about? Stay, stick around or maybe even hit some archives up. There's a lot of leg work to be done to get your head wrapped around some of the symbolic liter- literacy that we attempt to purvey to our audience. But it's kind of the type of thing where we don't really necessarily offer shortcuts all that often. But there are some streams out there where we may start at the ground level on certain topics like philology or a particular branch of symbolism. And just know that the symbolic literacy is your psychic self-defense against the grabbler and against the program and again, being able to see the spells that are being cast through the media and through so-called world events and news. If you don't want to be caught up in the emotion of it, then you got to get into the intellectual scaffolding that lets you be above it and see, oh, here's the archetypes at play. Here's what they actually mean to do with this. Here's what it flows into, whatever it may be. But just remember, like that's your... That one line will serve you well in your studies is that your symbolic literacy is your psychic self-defense. And you can meet Chance at next year's Bertaria. That's right. I'm in the Ozarks. I'm from here. So I, I lucked what, out. What? Oh, yeah. Sage Bear. We talked to Marty. He was on like two weeks ago or something. It's been recent. Yeah, Marty's a homie. Go back in the archives. He's, it's good he's stuff. He's my neighbor. <laughs> Uh, all right, y'all. I'm out. I'm out too. Yeah, Dylan says makes you unhexable. Exactly. All right. Good night, everybody. Much love. Peace. <laughs>